Greetings, Standard Nerds. This is Christopher McClanahan of DeeplyDapper.com. This is Tom Catamonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! Hey there, pod people. Welcome to the May episode of Robot Kraken, episode 31. This month on Robot Kraken, we appease the beast with discussion of drinking, Marvel stuff like Iron Fist and other madness. We discuss the sci-fi television program The Expanse, and that features a special guest star on the episode. At least we think he's a star. You'll think he's a star after you listen. Enjoy, everyone. Welcome to May with Robot Kraken. Dick, 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 dick. Tom does that every time, and most of the time he does it before I finish the intro, and editing it is a bitch. You put it in usually. I hear it in the background. It's because it's the only. There's like no clean cut on it. I'm like, and it's time to. Well, nothing beats last time when you inserted my dying robot sounds into the closing credits. I that had to do that. There was no way I could not have that posted for posterity or posterior, posterior, something like that. I don't want to hear about your prostate at all. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're younger than me. but uh, Everyone's younger my... than you, Tom. Oh, oh no. But also in, uh, in the detailed uh, timestamps from last time, I did not note when there was a random cat, I think, that was bothering you. Probably. If there was no cat, then we have a problem. <laughs> it's often not a cat. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a special guest. We do. It, this is our April, no, May episode of Robot Kraken. And That's we right. have our first guest on. So this will be episode 31. Ish. 31. Episode 31 <laughs> of Robot Kraken. We got 31 in before we had completely run out of content and needed a guest yes and because they stopped making all television and movies yes (laughs) so who do we have with us tom so this is mr blake simmons a pal of mine blake say hello hello that's great that's the extent of his (laughs) contribution everybody thank you have a good night (laughs) let's not kid ourselves so uh so blake uh we've known each other a little while right uh, just a little bit, I think, like a couple months. A couple months plus uh, almost uh, fourteen years. Fourteen years. Mm-hmm. Not tired of me yet. <laughs> Not even close. So, uh, Mr. Blake is a uh, or peas in a pod. Not. Not at all because he's a um, scientist and genius and super swell guy that everybody loves, none of which really apply to me, but because we have uh, similar sense. I would say it probably doesn't apply to any of us right now. uh, (laughs) Are you in trouble again? I'm always in trouble. Okay. But uh, yeah, but we're we're similar standard nerds, right? We like a lot of the same stuff, so it's fun to to bullshit about that when we get together. Indeed. Um, I'm looking forward to this. journey through time and space and content with like, the two of you yeah it's generally a, down, a downward spiral but yeah usually yeah yeah wait until you hear the the outtakes from last month 
Did you did you edit out a chunk and then? Dude, I've legit not even like touched the the drunken John Wick conversation yet. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> So Blake, my recommendation, uh, right? My recommendation is just let it ride. Don't even yes. touch it. Just let it That's go. Right. If well, you love so, something, set it free. If you'd like well, to see can. editing on Robot Crack and support our Patreon. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Slash Deeply Dapper. Yes. Well, so we make refreshing cocktails while we uh, record, and then generally speaking, we pace it pretty well. And we've each we've each of us slipped a little bit onto the dark side once or twice, but this last time, uh. I made a, a grievous error in my <laughs> concoction and decided to run with it, figuring, well, it's just one glass. But it was it, 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 it was one glass after riding 20 miles, not eating a lot and all the other stuff. Yeah. You short of sleep. And it it hit me and it didn't uh, it wasn't a disaster on my body or anything. It's not like I was hung over the next day, but it was enough that I was a real loose unit while we were recording, <laughs> which was super fun, uh, super fun, sort of. But uh, anyway, we'll I've heard about it. I've heard that about you several times, Tom. You you crafty <laughs> sailor, you. Wait a minute. <laughs> Generally speaking, if I'm a loose unit in person, you're looser. So, I don't... <laughs> I, well, I'm a full fledged train wreck. You know, yeah, that's okay. a, how it goes. And well, and and Chris, you're sort of a garbage fire. So between the three yeah, of us, I really and... am. Yeah, yeah. We're we're a post apocalyptic remember... movie right here. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember. I do remember one ill fated night when the three of us met up. At the Utah Saloon uh, after a baseball game, I do believe. Oh, that's right. I, and I do remember there is photographic evidence of uh, much mayhem and shenanigans. I'm surprised so, any of us remember anything about that night, honestly. Oh no, I've got a photograph. I've got a photographic camera. Uh, which kind? <laughs> well, you've reminded me of it now. So there. <laughs> so what are you guys what? drinking we we have this sub the the segment called sucking the monkey after all not that well <laughs> so so sucking the monkey like you know this mm-hmm. from every episode that you've slavishly listened to on all of your listened, world tracks I, I will say i have listened to well over 15 of your podcast gentlemen oh my and you still came on. That's awesome. Through the, through the <laughs> iTunes interface. I haven't listened to the past three, the most recent three, but now you you piqued my curiosity. Through the what phase now? I haven't listened to the past three. Oh, okay. So now awesome. you piqued my curiosity on. Oh, yes. We switched, yeah. to a, um, we switched to a monthly format. So whatever sessions we record during the month, we, uh, Chris, with all of his copious free time, smushes them all together waves his hands and then makes a mega recording. So um, we, we, we found we couldn't record consistently enough on a weekly or a biweekly basis yeah. because of, our, because of our, our various schedule issues. And so we decided, you know, for as little or as much as we can get in in a month, put a mega episode out at the end and it's a little bit more consistent. And it's also a bigger chunk because we both like long, long podcasts. You know, yes. why not? Yep. Kind of whittle your way through them. So <laughs> that's what we've been doing. Or just fall asleep to them. Yeah, sure. Pretend like you listen to the whole thing. The dulcet tones. Yeah. <laughs> so the sucking the monkey <clears throat> back in piratey days. Rum, alcohol, forbidden on the ship. So they would uh, smuggle the alcohol aboard on coconuts, and then they would drink the... Actually, drink in coconuts. coconuts. On coconuts was less effective. 
You're right. It's a balancing act. That's Just sort sucking of, it off of that that rough skin on the outside. That's a mini boss level. That's, if you that's can licking the coconuts, and that became a completely different activity <laughs> on the boat. Totally yeah. different. <laughs> Equally Mutiny hairy on the, on the outside, but totally beauty. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so so Blake, what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking Lost Republic bourbon. Ooh. Nice. Cut with bourbon. <laughs> with a bourbon ice cube. <laughs> yeah. <Got it. laughs> bourbon straight up with the bourbon back. Yeah, that sounds delicious. That does sound delicious. How about you? Chris, you'll never guess uh, that I'm drinking a certain craft uh, vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Are you drinking our... Tito's vodka again? I am. I was just I was just <laughs> listening to in a in a narcissistic way uh one of our recordings from a couple of times ago where you were insisting that it should have been tequila based on his name and it I called you a racist. I it's not an untrue fact. No. Um, so, <laughs> when it comes to vodka and tequila anyway. <laughs> so I, I I made a delicious concoction tonight with Tito's vodka and pure pineapple nectar and some pineapple chunks. Uh some people with limited imagination would just say that's some some sort of basic generic tropical cocktail i'm going to call it the uh atoll of tolu what should i say a tolu atoll an atoll something it's delicious <laughs> whatever you I do w- don't stop <laughs> i want i want to use the word atoll and tolu in the same drink name I'm drinking a Dr. Pepper mixed with Kraken rum, so I'm having a Doc Ock. A Doc Ock, that's right, yes. (laughs) And And he told you. It's not extremely exciting, but it is Kraken rum, so it's approved. Whether you like it or not, it's approved. It's approved. (laughs) Brace for impact. Yes. An atolitarian... Give it up, Tom. Just drink some yeah. more. I'm sure it's it'll delicious come in every way. How long have you been drinking your your a hole? Seven minutes. <laughs> Do you use a straw with your a hole? Depends on the receptacle. Let me tell you. <laughs> how how how, how wide an opening is that made in? <laughs> this has gone right off the rails. Right, right, right off the plank, I guess. Walk the uh, flank. So at this at this moment in time, we're all behind on our viewing, right? Of all the sweet stuff. Yes, everything. There's just so much good product and content out right now. It's just ridiculous. Except for told... Iron Fist. Okay. <laughs> Hold on now. Hold on now. <laughs> first of first of all, what did I tell you about calling it content and product? I mean, what is this Madison Avenue? Isn't it? This is sweet, sweet. Don't don't you tell me my purse line's not going to be accepted here on Robot Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> they toiled on these projects to make the best genre material that we could possibly ask for, including Iron Fist. Iron Fist was the best possible. It's really not. <laughs> no, it's not. No. It has its it has its pluses, and Where are a you? couple of them aren't Rosario Dawson. I'm on. I'm on episode. I'm on episode four, and I got to say, the best thing about it is the opening credits. Holy crap! We were just saying <laughs> previously that. Well, if that's the case, because we think that the 
opening credits are just a total hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good sign. I can't stand those opening credits. <laughs> I find I find them to be the best thing about the show. Oh, maybe my closing word. credits. Maybe I should rephrase that. <laughs> Our, our our mutual friend Lung calls it uh, Claire Temple season five, which I love. Nice. <laughs> I finished the series. Chris, did you get to the end? No, I'm still on episode five. I think five okay. or six. I'm not okay. very far in. I've had like zero time to watch anything. That's why I'm gonna have to bow out during your guys's conversation of the Expanse because I'm like ten or twelve episodes behind you guys. So. <laughs> oh like, no! I know I suck. I burned through uh, Iron Fist just because I wanted to get get to the end without something being spoiled. Spo- spoiler <laughs> Is there alert, anything there to nothing... spoil? Yeah, yeah, spoiler alert, there's nothing to spoil. <laughs> but also... Uh, you treated I just... that show like a bad burrito, man. You just had to work it through your system and get it out. <laughs> I really did. I just had to work through the cramps on one-hour intervals. But uh, I... You know, kind of like what we talked about, Chris, last time, if you could just distill this down to a bunch of cutscenes of Colleen Wing and Claire Temple... In candlelight or whatever, or working out, it'd be fine. The wing temple. <laughs> I see what you did. That's a move. That's a sugar DVD search if there ever was one. <laughs> wow, there, that, that's is there, very true. Is there a sugar DVD anymore, Tom? I don't even know. Has your I, reference I become obscure? Ever, I don't even know if it ever existed. <laughs> Long always referenced that on every other thing, and I, I don't even know. So, uh, but yeah, I watched to the end, and, and it, I don't know. I don't know. I still like it better than any any of the you know, broadcast TV stuff uh, with the exception of some of the Fox stuff like Fringe and a few others. I mean, and, but well, and wait, wait, be careful. So when you say broadcast stuff, you're saying like the major networks, because yeah. I, I would say expanse blows that thing into a different lunar orbit orbit. Uh, right. But that's right. But, but that's okay. That's gotcha. Sci-fi channel. I'm I would like about... to point out the legions on FX as well. Yeah. Right. Right, but again, I'm talking <laughs> basic broadcast. I'm saying the lion's share of mediocre superhero television has been on ABC I, and I will and WB. I will give you that Iron Fist is better than Powerless or Two Guys a Girl in a Pizza Place. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, or, and I think or, or or aging rectal fire. Yeah, that's great. That's right. I I feel like it's better. That's weird. So I feel like it's better than Agents of Shield. I think it's better than Arrow. Oh, 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 oh. oh. You don't think it's better than Agents of Shield? I, I think I think out of everything that Marvel has produced, uh, this is the thing that is most heinous to the universe. Wow. Interesting. And that inc- and that includes the Punisher movies. <laughs> <laughs> which which of the Punisher movies and... is your is your least best favorite of those? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I have to say the most recent version of the Punisher is probably my least favorite, but with Nixon playing Punisher? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's an interesting guy, right? What is I don't feel like I've seen him in many things and I didn't see that movie. I just saw <laughs> you just stated the obvious about there's a reason why that is the case. <laughs> but isn't he and, and we affirmed it and saw it, you know, on the big screen. It was great. What was okay, Punisher? I'm gonna Ray Stevenson. I think who you're talking about. (laughs) What's his name? Stevenson. Ray Stevenson. Ray Stevenson. Right. Ray Stevenson. He was the one who played uh, uh, Juggernaut on the X Men disaster. No, no, that was that was Vinnie Jones. Oh, that's right. You're right. Yep. No, he played. He's Volstagg in the Thor movies. 
Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. He's just he's an he's Australian act number six, right? Is he Australian? <laughs> no, he was born in Northern Ireland. <laughs> oh, Irish actor number four. <laughs> he's Irish actor number seventy three, dude. There's a lot of Irish actors. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. So so there's three actors that played Punisher, right? So there's Dolph Lundgren, right. which I still think is the best, and then you got Thomas Jane, which yes. has you know the tie into what we're going to be talking about later, and then Ray Stevens. And so you've got a Swedish, American, and British. So you're just, you know, working your way down. Yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the, the television or the Netflix version of him has been the best so far. Oh, yeah. I actually quite liked it. But the biggest problem, I think, uh, I think across all of the Netflix stuff has been pacing, right? Mm-hmm. They've had trouble figuring out how to stretch their story based on these larger commitments, which is unusual given that they are signing up for a certain range of episodes, writing them all in advance, and then producing them all at once like a movie. So you would think, unlike broadcast television where they have to just fill slots and they're just writing it every week on the fly, you'd think that they would have the ability to really pace it out and build a complete arc and, you know, be... (laughs) Be organized about it, but with their after Daredevil season one, which I think also had that new car smell to it, um, right? I, I think that each of their shows afterwards started to suffer from, uh, you know, slightly different uh, creative teams, and they don't really know how. To, they know it's supposed to have that Barton Fink feeling, but they don't know exactly how to get there, and they pace funny. And one of the things I heard recently on the Weekly Planet pod, uh, podcast, they, they mentioned that all the other Netflix series start strong lag in the middle, and then fit, try to finish fairly strong. This one starts weak at the and, and, then, and then sort of builds so the better stuff is towards the latter half as opposed to having a middle lag. And I don't know. It will be interesting to see if you guys, if you continue, if you think that's true. Because <laughs> yeah, I feel I, like it got uneven as it went on. I think I felt it had highs and lows. Well, I, uh, that's probably true if you watch, when I watch the whole thing, and I will. But to me, it's just, I can't believe how bad the filming and the editing is, especially in the fight scenes, compared mm-hmm. to especially like Daredevil. I mean, just come on. Um, the background story is pathetic, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> and then this moral dilemma that he's facing that seems to be kind of a, uh, a made-up malaise that anybody with a sack could get their way out of, and they just don't do it. And the crossover characters, for the first time, are just not compelling. And I think the actor they cast for the lead is just a complete misfire, a complete mishit. Well, so I Finn just... Jones, yeah, Finn Jones does play uh, sodomized and nearly dead very well on Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I feel like the the whole route that they took with this series in deciding to make him dealing with his own problems instead of trying to save somebody else is one of the worst missteps you can make in a superhero show. You can't yeah. do a, a television series about somebody trying to get his company back and it for yeah. it to be compelling viewing for a superhero. <laughs> I feel like, like we've talked about on other projects, you try to imagine the pitch room, right? What you know, how how when you see the finished product and it's confused, you know, you know it had to start with something better. This is not the type of schlock that some of the other networks have, where they just threw stuff against the wall and whatever seemed to get some traction. They just kept going with it. I mean, they had a point when they started the series, but it was terribly executed, I think, from what their vision was or what they originally thought it was going to be. When I watch this, I think 
that their premise was he's supposed to be the best martial artist in the Marvel Universe. Right. Yeah. Excluding, possibly uh, uh, eclipsing Shang-Chi if... Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? No. Uh, And he's not yet in the MCU. But, you know, at the time that he was brought into the Marvel Universe and there was very specific marketing reasons why he is this, you know, this little white kid that went to Kunlun and came back and is now this ambassador because they just want to sell twice as many Kung Fu comics, right? That was all it was. Very simple. But in the MCU, that component doesn't already exist. So this is the only (laughs) guy now. And... And so I feel like they went, they started out saying, well, okay, he's the best, best there is at what he does. And that's going to be boring because no one likes a, no one likes a, a Mary Sue that's impossible to beat. So we need to depower him. So we've got to give him personal conflict that will weaken his, his concentration and his chi. And we have to put him in position. We have to depower him so that he can't use his iron fist all the time. And that he can't focus and be that supreme martial artist so that we can pitch him against these other types of people without it being an entirely one-sided attack. However, it completely fails because you never buy for an instant that he is the master that he's supposed to be. No, no I mean, don't. To, to me, I, I would I would take uh, Stephen Strange over him in a hand-to-hand fight right now. <laughs> <laughs> With or without I, the cape. <laughs> without the cape, without the cloak. It's just, yeah, just, he would totally kick his ass. Um but from a production a standpoint, how do they ad. how do they make this one have the worst uh, choreography though? Uh, they had to try. They had to set, <laughs> out, they had to set out to decide to fail. They hired somebody that has no background in action films. I think I, the the scenes are just really super pedestrian. Is the biggest problem with them? He, he said in interviews that in many of his fight scenes, they handed up the choreographer came up and said, "This is what we're going to do." About fifteen minutes before they filmed, and if that's true, it's a production disaster. And if right. that's not true. That's a pathetic excuse. I think he has a lot of his the Tai Chi type stuff. I think he ha- handles it well. Mm-hmm. And there are times when he hits his when he hits his marks and he looks good. But the problem is, even when he's doing a good job, the the way it's shot, there's poor camera angles and it's not yeah. composed in a way that makes it interesting. You can make a mediocre fight look really cool yeah. if you try. We've seen that a lot in movies, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is the opposite of that. So there are some standouts, but I don't think we can talk about any of them in front of. Well, I can't talk about either of them with you guys. There will be there will be some there'll be some that are that are actually like hints of what this could have been that you'll see. But well, I think it's so sad that the you know the other point is that everybody's saying, well, gosh, maybe the 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 defenders can pull this out or the emergence of the Inhumans can pull this out, and that's still such a far stretch from where this is taking place in the in the uh, the plot line development. At least yeah. as far as I've seen it, it's a it's a sad and it's it's horrible to see Carrie Ann Moss involved with something so <laughs> awful. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie Ann Moss and her stilettos. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, you know, and it all goes back to Finn Jones. There are a lot of of you know Caucasian actors that could have are there that could have brought <laughs> that gravitas that I was saying last time that I wanted him to have. Mm-hmm. I don't mind if you whittle away or undermine his his confidence in himself and therefore weaken his power because he's got that. They, they basically painted him into the green lantern corner. Right. 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 If he can imagine that he's, you know, the one, then he's the one. Right. I, but you I can't, you can't. And therefore he's not. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, there's, there are a lot of actors that could have pulled this off and he's, I don't think he is it. Yeah. yeah like anybody, anybody from Dawson's Creek. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Vanderbeek in his forehead. 
Yeah. Oh, Vanderbeek. I mean, Dookie Hauser would have been such a tremendous upswing from this. It would have been perfect. <laughs> or Heads of Fury. Well, yeah. So, it, but also the the when I read some of the critical uh, response to this, I'm baffled because they're like, well, what I do like is when he's acting like a human and he's conflicted and he's naive and he's. Uh, and I'm like, well, no, that's actually not at all. When he's hunching his shoulders and acting weird. I don't remotely buy him as anything about the character that they're claiming he's supposed to be. No, no that's not no, a confused. No. That's not a confused guardian of Kunlun. That's just a dumbass. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. A, I mean, that's a whiny. That's a whiny little bia. It's unfortunate that one of the most compelling, other than the two women we t- are actually it's the three women we talked about. It's unfortunate that the most compelling character in this has been Exposition Hobo. <laughs> <laughs> right. Indeed. That's not, that's not a good sign. But uh, yeah. So anyway, that's not great. So I finished that. You guys are way behind. We are. And then on on Expanse, I think I'm two episodes back, maybe. And on Legion, I'm three episodes back. Yeah, I've still only seen three or four episodes of Legion, so I need to get caught up on that badly. Um, you You just need to make a commitment and get that done. Yes, I do, because I love everything about it. I just haven't actually... Well, and found the time so to sit and enjoy it. But that's what's yeah. so remarkable about this. Like you said at the onset, you said, well, we have so much great stuff. And you use shitty terminology. But, you know, <laughs> it's true that we're in a place right now where there are competing incredibly uh, engrossing genre television series to watch, such mm-hmm. that our biggest complaint is finding the time to pick between them yeah. to get caught up. And that the worst problem is that a sweet Marvel Netflix show wasn't up to par. I mean, 10 years ago, the Iron Fist that they produced would have been, our eyeballs would have been popping out. I mean, it wouldn't have been considered great, but we would have been like, wow, look at that, you know? Yeah, look at them try something amazing. Right, look at them try and fail, but they try, Yeah. right? There was nothing like this then. Now, we have a wealth of of options, even among the Marvel Cinematic stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're more critical about it, but... I can't believe that I had to I had to force myself not to watch Legion and and Expanse in order to make room for this because I thought I had to get this out of the way without so I wouldn't run into spoilers on the internet. Well, and I, I a, think it really comes to down to the, both the whoever their stunt coordinator is and the producer guy Scott Buck because yeah. he's like other than this show he did uh, Dexter for a while he did Six Feet Under. It, uh, Nikki, which is a sitcom of it's, it's just not the same caliber. But like, like director wise in Iron Fist, we have, we've got Sapochnik. He did a couple episodes, and he's the guy that did Battle of the Bastards on Game of Thrones. I mean, we know these guys know how to d- direct good TV. Well, that's what's so confusing when they showed the pedigree of the people that were involved in this. Yeah. Before we got anything, there was real hope that it was going to be. You know, intense stuff, right? And then right. those early promos of it, and you're like, "Wait a minute." Uh, well, yeah, and, well, I don't know. I don't. I think. I think it all comes down. A, a big part of it is who they cast in the lead. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know how they chose this dude. But, but the dialogue's terrible, though. The dialogue is. I mean, the dialogue, so dialogue is, terrible, but, is bad. But, but I don't know if that's because of bad delivery. Um, but I also think that they 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 don't have the humor that infuses a lot of the other Marvel MCU products. I think that's true too. Yeah. And and there's no there's no witty repartee. It's just kind of sullen, drab, uh, you know, woe is me bullshit without the dramatic flair to pull it off or the compelling 
script or visuals to make you ignore it or overlook it. And it's just, yeah, it's a, dog, it's a, it's a dog's breakfast. It says, bleh. <laughs> we talked the other, t- the other time about, we sort of micro, I micro reviewed the crown versus Victoria and how different the approaches of those two productions were and how, how the crowns produ- I mean, produced by Netflix and it feels like you're watching a movie made Victoria on masterpiece feel like a soap opera, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at the way this was produced, the lack of, well, think about True Detective, right? Think about how everybody fell apart about season two. And we, we've talked a lot about that in the past. And, I, you know, I really liked it despite its problems. But one thing you can say about it is that it was shot cinematic in a cinematic way. It was shot really well. So even though it had plot problems and some other issues, it looked good while you're watching it, right? True. If Iron well, Fist was shot sure. this, if Iron Fist was shot in a cinematic style and had some really cool effects and some really cool camera angles and all that, all that kind of stuff, the best it had going for it was a lot of symmetry. And that's not really that hard. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like there was not, there was no there there in terms of a of a of a of a visual style that that you could point to and say, well, you know, there's not much behind the curtain, but it looks cool. It wasn't even that. And that's where I think it really fell up. Well, I think I think it's part of it. I mean, the other part of it is supposed to be set in this gritty, gritty, uh, hyper real, you know, urban existential crisis universe. And I just don't that it didn't come off as real. It came off as underwhelming and kind of contrived. Mm-hmm. And it was it was I think they just decided they're going to throw something out quick to to get to the gravy train that they're hoping will become the defenders. And uh, if this was just kind of a setup piece and everybody was just going through the motions pro forma and it just fucking sucked. Yeah. Chris, they should have done Moon Knight and then brought him in. <laughs> they should have. Moon Knight uh, would have been more interesting at least. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> we cast that one the other time. Well, uh, also, thinking about how much it feels like a WB, we were talking last time about how, what's her name, Joy Meacham especially. <laughs> it feels like at least she's about a CW. Yeah. yeah. About a CW. Yeah, right. So she feels like she's on one of those shows, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's also this. I mean, once we talked and I watched the back half of this, I was really aware of the bad dialogue. I was really aware of how they were stalling. And the bottom line is the characters stalling in, in, uh, just bland, uh, corporate offices mm-hmm. is about the least interesting thing for a genre show to show us right <laughs> right it just like they alternate between it's the dojo it's some a couple other places we haven't seen yet and then it's the offices and the fact that he is wandering and, and these various characters wanting in wandering in and out of Rand tower in the middle of the night every single episode like there was no there's no there there there's nothing interesting about mixing up the settings to make it right. compelling nothing well especially if you just it i'll just go to the absolute comparison of uh the first Iron Man with Stark Industries. And, you know, you mentioned that the, the, the plot vehicle of capturing back your family's company uh, isn't compelling, but I, I would throw Iron Man as a, uh, and maybe Dark Knight yeah. as, a, as a counter to that, that you can actually make that a very compelling internal and external plot vehicle that they just totally, you know, messed up. That's a fair point. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I think you you can make it really compelling. It can be a real good moment of in, internal realization and and discovery and journey through life, right? But I mean, this guy's supposed to have gone off for fifteen years, learned the, the mastery of his trade, and 
become the ultimate badass and he just comes in and says, you know, he's more concerned about a vanilla soy latte than anything else. And that's his, that's his big moment of crisis and catharsis. It just doesn't work. He throws tantrums and he pretends he doesn't know what the internet is, even though he disappeared in 2002. Right. Yeah, I just, it's a, come on. <laughs> but, you know, you just said that uh, Iron Man, you mentioned two examples, Iron Man and Dark Knight. I would say that those two were surprising examples of where this sort of story was told well Mm -hmm. because of its casting and because of the the charisma of the leads and because of how it was shot and how seriously it took the bigger the bigger thematic points about it Mm -hmm. they were successful despite the fact that it was taking your company back so you know this is more like what you would think it would be like if someone said this is what it's gonna (laughs) this is the plot The blush is off the rose, gentlemen. Now they come back to reality. Oh no! Well, and is that also, what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, they're so. The fact is, all of these comic properties in back, you know, in history, they all fold in on themselves. They're all copying each other. They're all variations on the same basic themes, mm-hmm. and it's really tough now that we're seeing a bunch of good stuff coming through into these projects over these last 10, 15 years. It is really hard to watch something like this or like Arrow. And say this is not just oh. a clone of Batman again, right? Right. They you did Dark Knight well enough, had, but now had, all these are just Dark Knight cl- ripped off every single time. Right. <laughs> you, you had to go to Arrow, man. I've oh. only two episodes. I've only seen two episodes. I couldn't go beyond that. <laughs> no, it's yeah. Oh, did you like uh, Thomas Jane as a Punisher? I did. I like him better than Ray Stevenson. I don't know if that's, that's not, nice. I liked him in the the short film that they put out after the movie, where like <laughs> like closing uh, credits. And, well, no, they they put out one. I, I think it was called like a Good Day or something like that. And Tom oh. Jane like was so disappointed in the movie, and he still really loved the character, so he put out like a rated R proof of life short film about him like washing his bloody clothes at the laundromat and seeing somebody get abused in the middle of the street and beating the shit out of somebody with a Jack Daniels bottle. Oh, wow. It's pretty great, actually. I'm Googling it now. (laughs) Prior to uh, Expanse, I had no interest in Thomas Jane. I've never liked the way he looks. I didn't like the the previews for The Punisher. And I just... The fact that he was involved, and then also the promo for Expanse, and he's wandering around in a fedora on a space station. I was like, oh, that's it? <laughs> Dirty Laundry is what it's called. Dirty Laundry. I was like, I can't even, I can't tolerate Thomas Jane. This is, he's going he ru- to ruin Expanse. And he turns no, but, out to be the best thing ever, though. Yeah, I mean, you got, I give the guy more credit than that. I liked him in The Mist. Yes, he's really was, good in The Mist. I loved him I, in that, actually. Yeah, and I thought they that that was one of the, the King adaptations that never really... Oh no! Sorry, um, was it? Uh, well, never mind. But I thought he actually pulled that off very well. I did too. Yeah, especially for the the role he was in with that, with the the way the mist ends. I a lot of actors could have really botched that, and I think mm-hmm. he did a good job with it. And I liked him in uh, Stander as well, which was yeah. an older film, but I really enjoyed it. I, I think Tom would like that movie, but he hasn't seen it. Well, and, and it's done, and it's written and directed by Frank Darabont, right? That had a the string, Mistis, yeah, great, yeah. But that had a string of great King adaptations from the Shawshank and the Green Mile. So, yeah, uh, I, I actually really liked the Mist. I thought it was, well, it was one of my more pleasant films of that era. 
Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I, the, the CG's a little rough in it now, but we rewatched it pretty recently, and it totally holds up. It's a really good, suspenseful, creepy little movie. Mm-hmm. Well, he definitely, he's on my radar now, so now it's very easy to imagine him in fantasy castings for other types of characters. Way to be late to the party, Tom. I know, I know. <laughs> he's been in, like, 68 films, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's been around forever. I mean, he was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the Nemesis, the Crow, City of Angels. I mean, he's been back, you know, from 87 on. He's in Deep Blue Sea. I mean, how could you ever forget that movie? <laughs> you guys may think that I've watched every movie out there, but I have watched almost none of the of the projects that you guys have Come been on, talking He played about. Tom Jane in Arrested Development, and he was amazing that, in it. That I do remember. <laughs> and, and, and let's not forget, you know, he had a cameo in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World as a vegan police officer. That oh, yeah. Was, you know, I haven't seen that either. On spot. Yeah. I'm still waiting to see. <laughs> he's in the new Predator movie. You'll at least see that one, right? Because wow. he's on your radar now. <laughs> and on top of that, yeah. And on top of that, in the promo for it, it's like they took him out of Expanse. He, he maybe maybe he doesn't have the flock of seagulls, the flock <laughs> yeah. of seagulls, Mohawk, the Mohawk of seagulls. But but he does have a fedora. <laughs> yes, he does. He's in the back of the bus and he's got a switchblade or something, right? It's gonna be great. That's so funny. Punisher, so the Punisher dirty laundry. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. yeah. I got it. You know what if? my mind was wiped. Like, I saw something that was so serious that they wiped all references to Thomas Jane from my memory. Like, maybe I saw all these films, and I'm not meant to remember it, because if I did, it would put, you know, serious people, they would expose them, you know, their conspiracy or their conspiracy. Are you a robot, Tom? I think they they call it the opioid addiction. (laughs) <laughs> I might be a life model told you. I don't know. Uh, so yeah. Well, okay. So, it, all right. So iron, iron fist, hot mess. Maybe don't, don't, don't insult hot messes like that. <laughs> but there are certain cast members that I could not stop. Oh, I just remembered oh, the. Uh, that Dirty Laundry was actually produced by the guy that did that that crazy ass Power Rangers short film too. Adi, Shan- Adi Shankar. Yeah, the one yeah. where they're older, right? Yeah, with uh, uh, Kate. Well, what's her name? Um, that I wanted to play Miss Marvel, but isn't now. Uh, Sackoff. Oh right, Katie, yeah. Katie Sackoff. Yeah, right. I'll have to link that in our on our page when we get to it. When I post this episode, I'll link Dirty Laundry in it so people can watch it, because it's pretty fun. Then maybe you can watch it, Tom. It's It's got that Tom Jane guy in it that you like. I heard about him. I heard he's great. I'll see that. <laughs> I like laundry, too. I like Dirty Laundry. Do you? Mm. Knife fights. Knife fights. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. I'll watch bring it. A, bring in a knife to a gunfight again. That's, that's, that's me, man. <laughs> That applies to everything with me, I think. Hey, I, I'm just I'm online here a little bit, and I was just looking up uh, Tom Jane and the um, Punisher. And actually, there's a little tidbit here that uh, uh, John Bernthal based his portrayal of the Punisher in the MCU off of Jane's performance. Oh, I, 
I can kind of see that actually. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Right on. Right, then. I'm a big fan of Thomas Jane, man. He does some really good stuff. Yeah, you're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm calling it right here, ladies and gentlemen. I, Guys, I give me this. Should have been called a long time ago. <laughs> you will become a true believer and a true fan of Thomas Jane, but today is not that day. <laughs> I am 100% Thomas Jane approved on Expanse alone. You're, you're a Jane girl. <laughs> I'm a Jane girl on Expanse alone. Yeah. On that note, I should yeah. leave you guys to talk Expanse. Okay. And I will return at some point, or you guys can just hang up on me, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I... Don't, don't... Don't reference how the sausage is made, man. I've I've been summoned to an, another floor of the home, so I have to I have to run and do that. So I will leave you guys to wax expansing. <laughs> well, no, we're gonna wax poetic about expanding. That's <laughs> there you go. That's, oh, that's inappropriate. <laughs> and and good luck going through the veil, and good luck on the other side, and have a good night. From here on out. Blake and Tom are recording alone without my supervision, so I cannot vouch for what happens after this because I still haven't caught up on Expanse, and I don't want spoilers, but he promises it's entertaining and wonderful. So enjoy the next couple hours as Tom and Blake discuss Expanse, books, science fiction, and all sorts of tangents, I'm sure. I'm assuming. I'll be back afterwards. So, Mr. Blake. Yes, sir. I suppose we could do a more in-depth discussion about that sweet, sweet show, Expanse. Yes, as, we can. As a thing. So, you read these books. No, I did not. You read these books. You told me how good they are. I have ordered those books and am going to read them as soon as they arrive. The hell you say. I haven't read them either, man. Maybe, I have not oh, read them. you know, Kay read them. I think Kay read them. Because uh, I have not, in fact, I didn't even know until I was watching the show, uh, I had to read up on the author to discover that they didn't exist, and there was two other guys, and <laughs> I was really inspired yeah. by the idea that they it was developed as a role-playing <laughs> game, a web-based role-playing game. Are you all right? Am I all right? Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, the whiskey went down the wrong hole. Okay. <laughs> That's a different problem. What size straw are you using for that? <laughs> <laughs> there is there is no straw, only the spoon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i mean the pedigree of the show is really interesting to me i it's yeah. i do remember the books though i remember leviathan wakes i think mm-hmm. and i re- and i remember thinking that this is uh typical of so many science fiction books though which is that the cover art is so incredibly boring that i can't get into like it doesn't make me want to pick it up right yeah it was it was, it was in kind of the 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 art is kind of a, a throwback, I think, to some of the 70s and 80s, right. you know, trashy sci-fi. Burn uh, or whatever his name was that would do all those. Yeah, yeah. I know. Right. That. I know. Well, even, even some of the Conan the Barbarian, the original series, right, when they republish yeah. them and serialize them. And it, it's just um, – it's an unfortunate period of cover art. <laughs> and, yeah, well, you, yeah, you just take a look at the first one, Leviathan Wakes with the body no floating out there and then uh, – I guess we'll call it Nemesis Games. That looks like something inspired by a really bad acid trip of the Matrix. Um, yeah, you can see well, that. But I mean, I, I, it's been going on since the dawn of time. I mean, setting aside all of the '80s and '70s stuff that you're talking about, even some of our favorite authors, the 
the only time that their cover art was reasonable is when they they or someone had the sense to just put none of it on there. Like Steve, Stevenson stuff where, uh, you know, it's just the it's just the sextant or whatever it is or or the cryptonomicon, for example, where yeah. there's the pet or whatever it is on the on the cover. And that's it. Best cover ever. Right. Right. Well, I, but if you look at I, like, you know, the Gibson's early stuff and it's just the wackadoo, uh, bad pixelated psychedelic 80s cyberpunk stuff. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I don't know. Snow Crash, I still kind of have a sweet spot for the cover of the original printing of that book in 92. I, I still kind of I'm kind of fond of that. But you take a look at some of Will Gibson's stuff. Right. I mean, you can easily see that. Especially, um, you know, the, the, his most seminal work is still kind of uh, really bad on the art front. Yeah, he, it, he's learned. He's learned more now. <laughs> well, I don't know how much these. I really, honestly, don't know how much the authors have a say in how the packaging of their books happen. Right. I mean, I've I've certainly heard interviews where authors talk about the fact that they were alarmed when they saw their book on the shelf. So, I, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how much they even get any input in it. Mm-hmm. But like, I, well, I don't know. Probably not a lot. Like Mona Lisa Overdrive, I would think would be the, something I would never sign up for. But the, the the cover up for that and the original Count Zero was, you know, really hokey. And then Adoru, if you <laughs> right, <laughs> the, the original cover out of that was like something off of a sexploitation, you know. Um, I remember <laughs> bag. You know, really bad, really bad. So that was when I started yeah. getting two, two or more copies of every book. <laughs> <laughs> and the original Neuromancer, right, was kind right. of yeah, 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 yeah. Well, so uh, I'm excited because I'm uh, I'm reading books again. It's the yeah, and, and, and I'm trying to do it like real hard copy books. I'm trying not yeah, to yeah. do the electronic stuff. So yeah, that's why I'm waiting for the Expanse books to arrive in the mail and not well, download well, them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always collected the hard hardcover books, much to the complaint of my friends who would help me move year to year. You know, <laughs> and have to move move a whole <laughs> bookcase full of hardcovers, but um, but they make good they make for good lending books, right? That's what I like yeah. about hardcovers. But um, it's been the last this last few years with the kit between the kids and my work and everything else, I have not been able to pick up a book and read for any length of time without falling asleep, and then I pick it up the next time and I have to go back two pages to see what I read, and next thing I know, I'm at the cover, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I finally like I got myself a little little book light, you know, you know, and I put a books on the counter on the side table, and I can actually like just start to methodically get kind of get back into that routine because I love reading. It's just not, it was just not having the time to do it was making it not enjoyable, you know. No, it's but, it's really uh, tough. And then by the time you read, you've got three pages in you, and then you're out. Yeah. Well, my my favorite uh, period of reading was uh, when I was. When I had first moved to San Francisco and I was single, was before I had met my wife, I spent a year, plus or minus, right? A year. So this includes my interning time, but um, every every day at lunch, I would just take off and go to one of the one of the buildings nearby, and I'd either go into the major in, uh, into the quad, or I would go up onto the roof. They had roof access, and I would eat my lunch and read my book for for one hour, you know. And it became it was a nice routine. Every day, I got an hour of reading in. It's fantastic. Yeah, same. And planes too. I, I I try to read on planes, but economy just doesn't work. Yes. For real comfort level. Yes, it makes it challenging. <laughs> so I haven't gotten these books yet. I I um I thought maybe for my birthday they might show up, but uh, I did get um some of the. Well, now I know. Now no, I know. No, no. You've done enough. But no, no, uh, 
Oh no, thank you. I, that 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 um, that's good to know. Make sure no one else, like your wife, gets it. No, you know what they? Uh, my wife gave me the oral history of Saturday Night Live, which is something I've wanted to read for years, which is fantastic. <laughs> I was going to say then, the uh, oral history of Saturday Night Live. Does that come with a biped or a quadruped version? Oh, son of a bitch! And then uh, <laughs> I, I know what you mean. And then uh, also uh, my like so my brother-in-law and sister-in-law gave me uh, all of the aftermath books, so I have those to get through as well. The Star Wars mm-hmm. aftermath. Have you read those? You did. No. 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 I, I read. Well, okay. So which aftermath book? Sorry. I read well, the ones that were right after the um, episode six. I right, read those, some of those, right? That's this three, these three. And I had I had bought Bloodline, which is the one yeah. right, right before Force Awakens, and I got 30 pages in and had to put it down. Yeah. Just because it was so, there was so much internal monologuing on Leia's side. I was just like, eh. and I read, and I find out later, oh, it gets really great. <laughs> I didn't get there yet. So we'll see. But uh, so I have those books. And I still have a couple of uh, editions of uh, Neil Stevenson from you and uh, and so and so William Gibson that I'm also working through. So, yeah, that's um, at three pages a night. Yeah, that'll, that'll yeah. get me through my deathbed. <laughs> Welcome to the Canterbury Tales reader style. Speaking of Canterbury, sweet sweet expanse, man. Indeed, that, that show is gangbusters. It's like I I wonder if we could have expanse. Could we have Expanse if Battlestar Galactica didn't exist? Right? That's a really good question. Because Battlestar Galactica for all its faults is like proof of concept. I don't know that we would. But I'd also say it, it, it's kind of a combination of Babylon 5, Battlestar Galactica, or a culmination, not a combination, because it's not a merging of those necessarily completely disparate plot vehicles. But I think... Um, Battlestar Galactica and Babylon 5 are probably the two that I could draw the most parallels with in terms of the visual aesthetic and kind of the the, the plot development and the character development over an arc. Babylon 5, really? Yeah. I mean, I admit I didn't watch much of it, but it didn't it didn't it didn't it didn't stand out for me that way. So what about what about Babylon 5? Makes oh, sense? I, I I just thought it was a little more uh, a reality-based uh, variant oh, of like Deep Star <clears throat> um, or Voyager or the Star Trek thing where, yeah. you know, the future is really, really clean and everybody's really, really happy until they're not and then you blow them up. Um, whereas Babylon 5 is kind of like this this um, beggar's war and political intrigue. I think it's a political intrigue aspect of it that Reminds me of so much of what's going on in the expanse because the multi-layered behind-the-scenes politics schmucking is as important as the folks on the front line doing the discovery and the the kind of terrifying moments of oh shit what's that you know outside of an evac suit walking around for so um, well in Battlestar Galactica the early the earlier seasons of it anyway uh, such proof of concept for this sort of neorealism right for space mm -hmm. opera stuff. The the the, um, the 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 expansiveness and yet the claustrophobic nature of the ships, uh, the realistic uh, interactions and personalities between very broken or flawed characters, 
in a command structure, um, the the terror of an un, of a of an enemy threat combined with the void of space, which really makes me think. I mean, Battlestar Galactica half of it is dust boot, right? It's all submarine warfare, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It, it's, and das, it's das space. Das space. <laughs> Terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the one thing I remember not liking about Battlestar Galactica when it first came out, when it was the miniseries, and I, I watched part of it and gave up, was I was so outraged at the sounds in space problem. I couldn't get my, I couldn't get, I couldn't get us get away from that, even though it's a mechanism that really works, particularly in Battlestar and, and in Expanse as well. If you accept it, it's done really well. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when I first saw... Well, that, yeah, w- yeah. With the, without, you know, some of the, the finer details that they kind of obviate or ignore when it when it's a necessary plot vehicle. But everybody does that. Right. But, like, I wanted... I You know, I can't, when Battlestar Galactica was relaunched as, a, as sort of a modern thing, I wanted it to be more like 2010 or 2001. You know, I wanted it to be silence in space, hear the, hear the pilot breathing, um, hear thumping around inside his craft, but not... Whoosh, deep space whooshes and uh Battlestar Galactica went another approach and it's I mean it almost sounds like things are hurtling through blades of grass you know it's like there's this yeah. weird sh- sharp shallow sound when all the ships are launching off the bays right um and also shot with that steady cam thing like it took yeah that first time I couldn't even deal and then I went back and watched it and I was like oh crap this is the best ever <laughs> but uh yeah I mean it's hard to imagine Expanse happening without Battlestar um, planting the seeds. But what Expanse does that I don't think I've almost ever seen other than Blade Runner, and we've talked about this before, I'm sure, but um, capturing space space cyberpunk in a way that is convincing, right? Yeah. Because it, it's really difficult. And it's um, Blader, Blade Runner really did it. Um, um, to the T and kind of that, that postmodern hyper real everything everything is like now it's just more sucky and more neon. Um hyper compressed <laughs> William Gibson's yeah. fa- favorite stuff, right? Yep. Yeah. But um, a, lot, a lot of that orbital imagery that you'd read about in some of the books, and then you see how they rationalized it in this production, and you're like, wow, you yeah. managed to pull off all the patois of belters and their slightly elongated bones and weird tattoos and heavy tribal nature. Cause there's that big theme in this about humans being their own worst enemy because we're still acting like monkeys, right? Yeah. Or monkeys in space, but we're still doing the same stupid shit. Well, I, th- I think actually, I think um, monkeys in space would be better behaved than humans in space in the, uh, <laughs> right. Right. A lot of it. But like um, all of the mishmash <laughs> styles, like w- when I saw the promo stuff, we talked about this before with Thomas Jane and the fedora and the Hawaiian shirt or whatever. I'm like, this is outrageous. I can't even deal. And then when you watch it and you see why he's wearing it and how he's mm-hmm. desperate for these like these reference. It's like it's like people wearing old timey clothes and walking around wanting to be attached to some culture that doesn't exist anymore. Right. Yeah. I it's, totally like, it's, like, it it's like Portlandia. It totally is. <laughs> The dream, the dream of the 3090s. <laughs> yeah, it's the 1890s once again. Yeah, but, uh, so yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a complete non sequitur at you. There's a All lot right. with Outland. Have you, did you see Outland uh, with Sean Connery in 1981? Oh, that's not the one where he's in a bikini, right? No. Well, I'm trying to remember. I might have blotted that out with a. Uh... No, is that that's Zardos, <laughs> Zardos or something like that, where he had yeah. skinny Zardos. Yeah, Zardo. Yeah, no, Outland, <laughs> Outland is there where they have a 
a mining colony on the Jupiter, Jupiter moon of Io. Uh -oh. And uh, they, he's like the new sheriff in town. So it's kind of this wild west homage with a sci-fi bent to it. It's, it, you know, just like Decker in uh, Blade Runner. It's kind of a mm -hmm. dick homage, but put into a different setting. Um, and the, I mean, it is a really gritty, urbane, um, human suck take on sci-fi that I also, the more I think about it, uh, a lot of elements I like about it, including some of the physics side of it, except for what happens when you decompress in space, which Outland just went completely over the silly top on. But um, yeah, I think, I think another thing you need to recognize is that, uh, well, at least I recognize that without Ridley Scott, sure. I don't think Expanse uh, video style would work at all. Right. You're tra they're trading heavily on his style. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that uh, the neo noir thing because uh, Miller, in particular, I mean, it is a noir show, but his yeah. whole his whole arc is Dashiell Hammett to a T, right? Yeah. Doesn't need the it doesn't need need the fedora to to broadcast it. He's he's pining over a woman that doesn't even exist anymore, <laughs> in a drunken state, you know, rubbing up against. The, the law and and violating all of his own rules and all this other stuff and then he's a tragic character in the end you know i just think it's fantastic yeah so yeah that's that's interesting it, good point about ridley scott though because uh ridley scott can sometimes be as a as a storyteller he can fall apart but it never stops looking good well, I, mean, that's a, I mean just i'll just point to the thing that people least expected to be wonderful from him which is the most recent hit which is the martian right i mean it was like there there were no there are no aliens popping out of rocks or popping out of Matt Damon. Uh, but uh, I, I mean, I love I, I love that movie. Uh, it's yes. actually uh, a tremendous uh, piece of work. And um, but, the, but but it's you know the cinematography and the you know castaway in space kind of thing. But um, how brilliant was it to to include the narrative of him recording his log? Oh, with, you never read the book, his, did you? No, and I understand they toned yeah. it way down from the way he is in the book, but yeah. that as a narrative structure to make a one-man show yeah. uh, be compelling for two hours was incredible. Yeah, but, and, but then... But then and again, it's yeah. casting, though, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. But then you can you look at Castaway with Hanks just right. in the lonely solitude of it all, and there's no you know charming retrospective voiceover narrative. Um, it, well, it's equally yeah, compelling. It, it's just, yeah, I mean, they're both tremendous films. It's just they're different incarnations of the, you can say, loosely speaking, the same vehicle. <laughs> yeah, the same low-powered vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, interestingly, I saw Martian with Chris after, like, one night after the first convention that we did Artist Alley together. Uh -huh. uh, so that that night we went and saw the Martian at the local theater in Sacramento and thought it was incredible. And, um, and then you and I saw interstellar together. Yep. So those were like two incredible space movies that were so well done all, all at one, you know, all in one year. So that was pretty great. Yeah, it, it, well, you're just saying like, we're talking about the, the superheroes are having a wealth of riches and we can, you know, afford yeah. to, you know, flame out iron fist. Cause it's the, it's the run of the litter. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, we have this wealth of, uh, I mean, thank God we're alive now that we have the sci-fi renaissance, we have the superhero renaissance, at least for me. Right? I, still, so I still imagine, I still try to imagine young Tom seeing, getting a glimpse of some of these things that we almost take for granted. We're like breaking apart 
Justice yeah. League trailer, like, well, I don't know. It's kind of ripping off Avengers. Doesn't have much heart. Or like <laughs> Spider Man. Well, you know, give me a break. If uh, yeah. it doesn't even have to be Iron Man and Dark Knight and, and, and stuff like that to, to blow my socks off as young Tom. If, if I saw even the, the even Thor 2, if I saw a glimpse of that in, you know, 1979 or 1980, I would have just been like, is this, I mean, yeah, to, to, to pause. I mean, get the fuck out of here, right? I mean, just give me. Yeah, I would just it would blow my mind, right? And the same uh, thing, yeah. especially when you take a look at the superhero crap that we had at the time we were growing up, or at least I was growing up, like the uh, the, the Spider Man show, which is awful, Captain America, which is awful, the Hulk, which was you know the best of the lot in my opinion, but it was still pretty bad. Although and I will I will give Hulk credit that uh, they did they did in one of the Hulk. Uh, telefilms what ended up they ended up doing in daredevil season one that i love so much which was put daredevil just in in black tactical pants and a stretchy top yeah. and, and put a black bandana on him and then and then that, call it a day um that's what i love so much about season one of daredevil that's all i really wanted to see out of him and yeah. it took me straight back to that film right even their thor yeah. was kind of good right all the faux fur and all that stuff. Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can go there with you, but it was... No? <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, man. I thought it was pretty... Funny. I mean, he and was a ter- terrible actor, but... Yeah, and Wonder Woman. I mean, oh. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how the, the standalone um, Wonder Woman film comes across, but it's got Chris Pine in it, so I have hope. <laughs> it, it, it certainly... It looks like it looks good. And the question will be whether the story will hold up. But yeah, but see, my issue is with Zack Snyder, right? Everything that he does looks good. Mm-hmm. It just sometimes sucks. <laughs> you saw that Justice League trailer, right? Yeah, I was just falling apart. Um, Lung sent it to me and was like, when it came out that morning, and I was late to it. And uh, he said, "You got to watch it." So I started live. I think I was commenting to him on my phone while I was watching. He's like, "You're live tweeting this trailer." But I was having so much trouble with it early on. I was like, something's coming. We've got to do something. You, me, the others, we. That's what we means. We've got to do something. In case you don't know, let me go to the thesaurus. It's just so terrible. The dialogue is atrocious. But but, but that's a Snyder. I mean, come on. Like, if you really are brutally honest with, like, 300, for instance, right? The, the, The screenwriting is just fucking abysmal and it's <laughs> they pull it off in 300 but um sometimes they don't well that's the thing about iron fist though once uh chris and i talked last time and and we were talking about the the poor dialogue i started focusing on that and granted it's coming out of his mouth and he's not doing us any favors because he's not convincing when he says these things but like I try, when when I'm aware of bad dialogue, I suddenly see it in front of me, right? Like I can see the text in my mind, and <clears> it doesn't help, right? And no. so the Iron Fist dialogue is really bad when you start paying attention to it, yeah. especially when they're treading water with it, right? But anyway, so yeah, so um, also with regards to the Martian and Interstellar, the Martian became very well received critically and and to, by the public. Interstellar. Less received, less well received, right? Yeah, average people. I don't know how critics felt about it. I know, I know, a lot of people complain about the ending. I thought it was amazing, though. I just couldn't even, I couldn't even deal. I couldn't even deal with Interstellar. How much I love that movie. No, I, I loved it too. It's just, I, I would agree that the the ending was 
you know, I don't know why they left Anne Hathaway abandoned on a planet and waited for him to come back to go get her. I, I just still don't understand that. And then uh, right. the last five <laughs> minutes were not necessary. Right. Right. He, right. He could have he could have actually just slipped into the thing and that the end of it. We didn't need him to come back. Right. And, I mean, I mean, and, and if he's if he's out in space, I mean, and they're doing the time shots. Why couldn't he come back, you know, right at the scene at the barn when they're they had the big storm and they're blown out. So I don't understand why they placed them. You know, in outside the wormhole, other than they had to, even though they could bend time and space, and you could see all this. But you know, overall, up to that point, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Well, and and Nolan has had in other films, he, he his his construct will be amazing, and then all of a sudden it'll have this hokey or sort Ending. of yeah. cheesy cheesy little emotional component to it that you can imagine if you were to just slice that right off. It would be a perfect film, and I and and I give him a lot of credit that it's part of his vision, right? That's the film he wants to make. Um, well, he, so, he doesn't need to make he doesn't need to make a film film for anybody else, right? right. He can make whatever the heck he wants. Right. Um, but it's, it's just like the Dark Knight Rises, right? right. That ending right. at right. the end of that film is really contrived. Inception is really contrived at the end, right. and it's. Uh, I think he just <clears throat> maybe he just loves that, right? <laughs> he just likes to throw in his version of a fairy tale ending on some of these stories, right? Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, so, but with Expanse, though, here's another thing about it that surprised me. I maybe Sci-Fi Channel has been producing quality stuff before this, and I wasn't aware of it. But, but my impression was always that anything that was made for the Sci-Fi Channel that it was going to be like Andromeda and stuff, like just like you know B movie, B movie level genre stuff. Oh no! I, they've been making good stuff for a while. I mean, I, wow. you mentioned Battlestar Galactica, right? Right. Was that on Sci Fi Channel? Yeah. Oh, see, I got a, I watched that entirely on Netflix discs, and then it wasn't Sci Fi, was it? Yeah, it was. I didn't have Sci Fi when I watched the last two seasons live. It must have been cross posted to Hulu or something else. Well, anyway, anyway, I, I wasn't aware. I, I wasn't aware of them having anything that was very good. I thought that what they were producing was generally much more like what we used to think of as the made-for-TV quality, right? Well, yeah, but but but, but I think I think that I think Battlestar Galactica was was the series mm. that uh, transformed their approach, just like AMC, right? 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 Who right. the hell watches AMC for high-quality television until Breaking Bad happened? Right. And then The Walking Dead happens, and suddenly, right. and and Mad Men, and suddenly they're like the best network on TV, right? Oh, so. preacher, preacher. Yep, 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 yep. I yep. see what you mean. Well, anyway, it, it took me by surprise. I was, I remember uh, reading about this project and then seeing some clips from it, and or seeing mm -hmm. photographs, or whatever, thinking, oh, that's another good-looking set for a cheesy sci-fi show. Uh, not yeah. having any expectation that it was going to be good. There was another show that they had around the same time as the season one of this was on, right? There was another sort of, uh, sort of a space space based story, right? Wasn't there one? Mm, there was another there's, one. There's the Colony, but that's on ABC. Uh, that, no. that's on, right? Yeah, there's some other one. They have twelve monkeys. They have the magicians. Um, Let me tell you about watching the Sci Fi Channel streaming. You watch this this thirty second music based montage of the magicians eighty five times. Mm -hmm. I can't <laughs> I can't tell if that's a good show or not. Have you not? But have you not watched Channel Zero? I have not. 
Okay, that that's another good one you should take a look at. Incorporated must be the one you're talking about. No matter. No, I think it might be dark matter. I'm I'm looking it up right now. I will say incorporated is one that I have high hopes for because of all of my cyberpunk stuff, you know. And killjoys, but um and of course there's Sharknado. I mean you can't dispute the quality of Sharknado and Z Nation. Of course. So is uh, is Magicians any good? Have you watched that? I so it's something that the wife and I uh, she loves it and I like it too. It's it's campy. It kind of reminds me of a um, kind of the unadulterated sheer joy of a really bitter screenwriter uh, living out all of his life's frustrations <laughs> through his actors, um, <laughs> really? much like much like Buffy. <laughs> so I I actually. Um, it's campy, it's fun, and the screenwriting is the the scripts are the best part of it, and the actors are are pretty good for Canada. Um, so, yeah. is uh, is Killjoys good? I have not watched anything on Killjoys. And Incorporated, did you actually start watching that? I, w- I watched the first episode, and that's it. And then Dark Matter, I never watched anything. So, so Incorporated doesn't hold up. Uh, well, no, I don't. I don't know. Uh, Channel Zero is actually a little creepy. Um, <laughs> is it an anthology series though or no uh, it's just six episodes it was oh, okay. kind of a real limited series uh kind of really creepy um mind bender it's actually really good um but dark matter is the one i was thinking of dark matter and expanse i remember looking at those and and feeling like they seemed interchangeable in the promo material but interesting the expanse trades so i haven't read these books i want to read them but it it trades well, heavily on a lot of the imagery you'll, you'll, you'll be getting the opportunity to read them soon oh, awesome so uh this crassness recorded live in front of a studio audience give me those books blake i will tom so uh I, I, while we were talking i just ordered them on amazon i'll give them to you on friday oh sweet lord <laughs> so um uh the expanse it sh- it shows a lot of imagery that matches up with what I imagine when I read C.J. Cherry's work. Yeah, or well, or even or even Stevenson with Seventies, right? You could see, right? right? Uh, and I and I really hope someone makes a movie out of Seventies, but um, you, you that that whole trapped in a box, uh, and at the same time you're in imminent demise, imminent risk of dying in just the void, right? Right, and and that's your new reality. You don't have any atmosphere that you can. You know, just run out onto terra firma um, until they do at the end of the book. So, <laughs> right, it's a uh, right. It's really, I love it. I just love yep. it. Except both copies of Seventies are, are in my stack here. By the way, I haven't even, um, but I know, but I've read enough about it to know what you mean. Um, but uh, also, like uh, one of my favorite cg cherry books and the one that i would loan out to people constantly to try to get them turned on it's the book that i loaned out to the guys so that and then we ended up doing the cyberpunk campaign that was orbital stuff uh was a heavy time yeah um and look at how much of expanse has heavy time written all over it right down to the promo imagery of of the of the cosmonaut trying to hold on as all the rocks are flying everywhere Yep. All, all the, the the ship that's torn apart and and people are showing up on on the scene late kind of like the Showing up to the the bubbles of the Titanic and wondering what happened, kind of thing. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, and, and the fractured storytelling, yeah, the fractured and unreliable narrator and all that stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. And then uh, and she's really good about um, ship life, military ship life, and 
the idiosyncrasies of station life, and mm-hmm. both of which are really powerful and expands too. Well, you you will see that you will see that in seventies as well. How that um, and, and this is a general term. I won't give any more spoilers from it, but uh, how in a moment of crisis uh, that typically a more military dogmatic approach to life happens. You see the same thing with um, uh, the culture series. Uh, I don't know if you have read any of those. Mm. This involves books, right? Yes, it does. <laughs> by, uh, you know, those hard to turn pages. But Ian Banks has right. a culture series, and it's still, you know, it's got the political intrigue, but it's all got military overtones to um, a really libertarian democratic society so but when the shit hits the fan you know martial law applies and the constitution is voided and that sends all the way back to the romans so and then and then then hope that it ever and hope it unclenches because it often does not right well it it usually leads to an apocryphal event that leads to a transition to something better (laughs) okay bannon sure that's what's happening (laughs) so (laughs) so you yeah, know, any, feel, any of my you'll friends, feel, you'll feel a slight pressure, but yes, it'll be worth yes. it. <laughs> any of my friends from you know 15 years ago or so would just, if if you were to tell them that I would be uh, reporting that I hadn't been able to read a book in two years and the best I could do is read a couple of comics or a lot of news on my iPad before I fell asleep, would just be like aghast. Not just because the iPad didn't exist and it's pretty exciting, but also because. I was well known for having so many books and constantly reading books oh, yeah. and pushing, pushing them on people. And when we were first hanging out, it was all about pushing books back and forth. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to get, getting that aspect of my life well, back. Uh, it's just reproduction and family obligations. It just destroys yeah. everything, basically. So no, no. Everyone, but you, everyone, listening, everyone listening, don't do it. Yeah, like. <laughs> but you called it, uh, you called it, though, and that is that you bring the books on the plane. Yeah, And that's my thing, because for the last several years, every time I go on a business trip, including the one I'm about to go on, I have the laptop out because I'm working on production. I'm working on something for on producing a book, producing stuff, and I'm not I'm not absorbing content on creating it. And so that's an interesting challenge for me. To, and that's frankly why even I don't watch as many shows as I should or or well, or read as, as many books. Expect- well, people right. expect you, right? Well, but you know what I mean. Like, I, I have trouble. I don't play my PlayStation because I, I think, well, I should be drawing. I need to be drawing something or producing something or writing something. It's the same yeah. thing about sitting down to read a book or sitting on an airplane. I'm like, this is valuable time away from the kids. I need to be producing. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. But uh, so, okay. Hey, maybe we should talk about the cast. Let's talk about this wonderful cast on The Expanse. I understand a lot of it is sci-fi regulars, right? Yep. Hold on. Wait a minute. Is this true? Anson Mount is going to be Black Bolt for Inhumans? Are you kidding me? Who's Anson Mount? From um, Hell on Wheels. Oh. You know, I think you're right. Get the heck out of here. I wasn't familiar with the actor, so I wasn't, I didn't know, because I didn't see Hell on Wheels. I only saw, like, a promo. I I I have it saved, but I never watched it. I can't, I I can't believe it. That's a really bold move. How so? Uh, well, he, he's always been this um, kind of the sheriff Western. He's typecast as that. And yeah, I recognize Black, And actually, Black Bolt is not going to have a big scruffy beard and big long hair. Um, right. 
So it'll be interesting to see him transform physically. I, as, in terms of acting, in terms of straight-out acting, I don't have any issue with it. I think he's a hell of an actor. Because um, we, we actually watched the Hell on Wheels up until the last half of the last season. <clears throat> and, and that's still in the queue. But it's a... Uh, wow. I need to say I, that. I, I not, it's in my I, queue. I not, yeah, I had not heard it, and I'm just I'm blown away. That's a really... Well, I'm looking at a picture of him without the without the Hell on Wheels stuff, you know, like clean, cleaner yeah. shaven, cleaner shaven and in normal clothes. And uh, you could definitely see him. However, as I understand it in that production, he's not going to wear the the tuning fork and all that stuff. He's going to be, more, you know, more plainly dressed. But oh, yeah, I, mean, I, I can't I can't imagine them doing the tuning fork, especially the dog with the tuning fork. That would well, not be. Uh, can yeah. you not? But you've seen that the, they have Lockjaw, right? I mean, Lockjaw's legit in that show. Yeah, no, but it's not. I mean, is he going to be a one-ton uh, dog? They've shown them filming in Boston or Chicago or somewhere, and they've got a mock-up for just for the purposes of placement, CGI placement, mm-hmm. and it's shoulder height. It's huge. It looks like one of those. It's like it looks like one of those uh, bowls, right? <laughs> one of those painted <laughs> bowls in Chicago, right? But it, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be the same effect that they did with the the Hulk, right? But yeah. Mm. Meaning what? We'll see. No, no, but that you see all the you know the big hands or the big head on sticks and they roll it around and oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah yeah. But I mean, it's going to be in the show. They really are going to have the giant bulldog with the. So they're going to have the one ton dog. That's what yeah. they're going to. So do. so one what? Right, and so I'm a little disappointed because I think Black Bolt's design through the years was one of my favorites. I think it's really iconic. I love the look of his costume. Oh yeah, I, I, the Inhumans were one of my favorites as a kid reading comics. Well, it's interesting that Marvel has pushed the Inhumans over these last several years. Once they sort of got their sea legs in the film industry and they couldn't get the X-Men back, <laughs> which, you know, it was a necessary evil to, to stab off bankruptcy. But, you know, so they just made the Inhumans, because the Inhumans always were just another mutant, right? Just like the Deviants yeah. and all these other ones, right? Yeah. So they've really pushed across all media in comics and in the cinematic stuff that the Inhumans are their you know, mutants, right? So... They're going full tilt on that. And uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has been doing Inhumans for a season and a half. I just think that the IMAX stuff is going to be, that that series is going to be, like, much more, uh, well, certainly it's going to be more royal family, and it's going to be a higher stakes stuff. Because right. Agents, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is using Inhumans as mutants, period. Right, right. just another class of mutants, right? So, uh, also on uh, Inhumans, they've got a, I always butcher his name, is it uh, Ewan? Ewan Rion? Yeah, I can't. I don't think I said that right. Juan, right? Juan, Juan. Juan. Huh? I could look it up, but I'm not going to. Well, I love him, and yeah. him playing Maximus. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's gonna be great. That is good shit right there. I love him. I loved him ever since uh, Misfits, which is still one of my favorite shows. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Ken Long too. He's in that. Yeah, he's awesome. I've always been a big fan of his. The, you know, I just I just find it ironic that the Inhumans have been, you know, to some subjugated to a TV series, whereas Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. have blown up. Whereas if you take a look at the population dynamics and actually the readership of those two, right. uh, it would be the complete opposite, right? <laughs> well, I was convinced when Guardians of the Galaxy was announced, I was convinced that that was going to be their first misstep, right? I mean, there's I thought, no way, I thought there was no way thought, that was going to work. I thought Ant-Man was going to be their, their one that was going to. Really? Yep. Well, I was concerned. Adam Rudd pulled it out. I mean, that's what this yeah. is what it did. 
Well, when uh, but when but when he left the when we left the project and I thought we were going to lose the heist film aspect of it, which we kind of did. But you know, when 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 that change happened, I thought, okay, it's doomed, right? And then oh, it ended yeah. up turning out to be a great movie anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's no I four mean, two though, but <laughs> no, no, but but strange also defied all expectations on mine, right? I thought that okay, yeah, whatever. But it, I, you know, it's one of my probably one of my top five Marvel movies now. Well, we talked about it coming out of there, right? It was the they managed to pull it out. It's all about can you make something new? Can you can you can you raise your game and do something more interesting than the last one? Yeah, that's what makes their movies good when they work, right? And they're different or they've stepped it up versus treading water, which is something like, for example, Thor two again, which was just straight up treading water. Well, or Iron Man two, to be honest with you. Yeah, right? I mean that sure. was yeah, it's sure. The, uh, <clears throat> but so that's what puts it in such stark contrast. Stark contrast to the uh, television branch of Marvel, which, right. you know, Agent Carter got axed after two years. It sucked because Agents that of was Shield. A, I enjoyed those. Yeah, Agents Agents of Shield are always on the bubble. I mean, it was great that they had the Netflix thing come up where they could do um, some things that they couldn't do on broad network TV. Well, Perlmutter Perlmutter was it was clamped around the the, the ABC stuff. Right, Pearl yeah. Perlmutter, that's his fiefdom when he lost the, the cinematic universe, and I think that's been part of the conflict is that they can't get they can't get rid of him. Yeah, I think I think if they I think if it was under a different overall stewardship, the ABC stuff would be a lot more cohesive and better. I enjoy, I still watch Agents of Shield, but I mean it it feels much more, you know, I don't know, just sort of sort of mediocre television happens to be of a subject matter I like, but it's still fairly mediocre compared to something like the experiments they do with Netflix. But Yeah, yeah. No, I, well, I just think it's edgier. You're not limited by content or ratings. Right. Um, I mean, look at Jones, right? I mean, I thought I thought I was not going to like that show at all, and then it was, uh, I, I absolutely adore it. Um, that, was a, so. that was one where the casting was what I wasn't... I mean, that character is so specific in how she's portrayed in the comics due to um, Maliv's art that you, you can visualize her so well that when they cast what's her name in it, uh, I was just like that's not the, the girl from the girl from Gilmore Girls and the bitch in Apartment Twenty Three B or whatever. That like this is right. not this is not Jessica Jones. She totally made it work. Well, but I, I would say the same thing uh, plagues uh, Iron Fist. Sure, right? I, when I saw that when I saw who they cast Iron Fist, I'm like, are you effing kidding me? Um, at least Kristen Ritter has some acting act, acting chops, right, I mean, dude? And she kind of proved it on the show. I think she, uh, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch. I had questions about with Doctor Strange, but he 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 claimed that role. I mean, it it wasn't the physical identity that Robert Downey Jr. had, for instance, with Tony Stark. I mean, I, now you can't imagine anybody playing that or. Um, Jackman with Wolverine, right? I don't know how anybody's going to step into those shoes, but um, yeah, I, I hear you about Ritter. I mean, it was it was kind of a stretch, but she, I think she owned it and she made it and she pulled it off. Whereas Iron Fist, I don't think I don't think <laughs> it's coming close. There was also something I don't know. This is sort of a weird. Uh, I, hmm, I don't know. There's some I don't know where this goes exactly, but I feel like with her, part of it was. That everything she had, well, almost everything she had done leading up to that was about pushing her into the, or, or pushing into the glamour 
role of, you know, is she sexy? Is she a, is she a sexy girl? Is she a sexy woman? Is she doing this and that? I mean, they're playing off her physical assets. Um, and yet she's a very unusual looking woman for the mainstream uh, audience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Hollywood interpretation yeah. of what the, the, the hot girl is supposed to look like. I mean, she's yeah. long and she's long and funny and has weird face and all this other stuff compared to the anorexic supermodel that they're all supposed to be. And yet she's very attractive. And yet she she has, you know, you know, a nice figure and everything else. But in this, she's stripped down, very, <laughs> very raw, uh, very plainly dressed, no makeup. Um, very vulnerable, very bitter, a very oh, realistic, right. very realistic character, and it was a, but, but incredibly more, intoxicating. Yeah, but but also just an absolute train wreck of a human. Right, right. right. Like like every bad decision she can make, she does. Uh, every bad act she can make, she does. Uh, any chance to stand up and be responsible and accountable, she doesn't. She's self-fulfilling uh, and, prophecy, right? She just right. No, yeah, just an absolute train wreck of a human, but yet is uh, cursed or blessed with this. Uh, ability to do things no one else can and then at the end when it really comes down to that crucible defining moment for better or for worse she does the right thing and yeah um, she steps maybe, up against her fear. maybe she does the right thing when i mean tenant i thought was brilliant in his acting oh, yeah. um and so what what happens at the end um what a great was, what a wonderful yeah. great a gray area villain i mean he was I, so horrible and yet um you know they, they talk so much about the weakness of marvel villains right Right. Oh, okay. We have a Loki, and we have, you know, what? Who do they consider good Marvel villains? Right, Loki, and maybe Kingpin. Maybe. No, I, 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 no, I love I him. But, yeah. No, but I wouldn't put him up there with you know. But Purple Man was amazing. He yeah. was so complex, such an yeah. interesting character. But so the thing about her is, I can see other projects where they would have taken a very naturally. Uh, uh, sort of normalized, attractive actress in that role, gone light on the makeup, on the stage makeup, yeah. uh, put her in Hot Topic and then called it a day, and that they very deliberately didn't do that with her and they really made her rough was what really, which helped seal the deal for me, I guess. And I could see how, so I can see how that was a struggle. They probably really fought to do that. I yeah. can see executives saying, no, no, no. <laughs> she needs to be, you know, naturally pretty. No, she doesn't. No. We, we need to disguise that. She needs to be beat up all the time. So anyway, but uh, the thing well, about Doctor Strange, you, we I mean, we should probably even do so at some point we should even talk Doctor Strange in more detail yeah. because Chris, uh, I think he saw it. But then he eh, I don't know if it goes past two weeks. He's got he's got too much. He's he's full. <laughs> right? so it's, he does. A, he does that ROM rewrite every time. But, uh, you know, I remember feeling coming out of there that the one thing I wish they had done is is uh, instead of making him another Tony Stark with the with the ego and the quips that he should have just been more cold and arrogant and then forced into humility. Like he was a little charismatic, a little more charismatic than I needed him to be, a little more Robert Downey Jr.-ish than I wanted, but otherwise he did a really great job. No, I, I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a Marvel trait to have the kind of smart-ass hero that is very glib, uh, and at, at the same time, self-effacing, uh, and deprecating, but at the same time, just a freaking jerk in yep. terms of the ego. And, you know, when, when I, I was a huge fan of the comics when I was growing up, 
Mm. And I and it never, you know, that kind of pride or that hubris really never came through in the original incarnation of the character that I remember. Well, because they never touched on it, right? Or, 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 and, and, but but then again, then again, in the comics, he's a very polite and wise. He's a polite, patient, and wise character, right? Right. And in and granted, this is just Doctor Strange one in the movies, but. He's still coming off Robert Downey Jr. style, even yeah. once he's got the robes and everything else. He's still kind of Whoa. well, I know, because I think they know that that's what sells. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I think I think in the commoditization of this, there's a there's a there's a certain shtick that he can use as a guidebook. And I mean, just take a look at how much we just hammered Iron Fist for not having any humor or deprecating, and it's just this, yeah. you know, um, emo angst. Afro bullshit. Uh, <laughs> it is such the urban outfitters of a Marvel Netflix oh. show. But um, you know the other thing about uh, Doctor Strange is, I mean, it, it's always said that Watchmen was the unfilmable comic, and and uh, he did a good job of translating panel to panel to the screen. But it still no, I, I just the heart of it. I, I don't I don't agree with that at all. I think I think Watchmen was eminently filmable. I just think um, they weren't willing to make the changes to make it. Filmable. Okay. They wanted to, they wanted to stay true to it, and as a result, uh, it alienated a large check, section of the viewing population. No, what I, I mean is they always said they always said Watchmen wasn't filmable because the entire concept was subversion, a mm-hmm. subversioning, subversioning. It was a sub, subverting, subversive. The, it was subversive, but it was subverting the concept of four color comics. You have to you have to full you have to be fully engrossed in in all the comic lore to understand Watchmen as what it really is, as opposed to the topical thing. And then, and so the surface level of Watchmen is what he filmed, but we didn't get that other layer. And could anybody do it? Cause it's referencing a, a medium and a, and a level of content that the average viewer wouldn't have. But I was right. going to say that Dr. Strange, all of the timey-wimey mystical multidimensional <laughs> magic stuff in Marvel comics was what I always thought was unfilmable that and the Kirby deep space stuff. And between Guardians of the Galaxy and Doctor Strange, they've managed to surprise us in a very positive way. And I think also this new Thor Ragnarok is going to be another level of it. Making it, having him go put weird 80s pop yeah. style with it is just like, I can't parse it, but it's going to be great, right? right? And, and, and so. Jeff Goldblum emerges once again from the ashes. <laughs> Coming up to surprise us all. Have you seen and, my uh, Jeff Goldblum shirt that I got? The what? I, have you seen my Jeff Goldblum shirt that I got? I, I have not seen it yet. It's 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 like ne- neck to belly, his face just full, just his entire face in line in line art form, but it's three D, right? So it's the the color separation. So you're just walking around with a giant, <laughs> you know, blue blue and red, three D graphic of Goldblum's head, so that somewhere someone is going to be walking around the corner with a pair of three D glasses on, going, "What the hell?" Yeah, I loved it to death. I couldn't believe how wrong it was, so I had to have it. <laughs> okay, but I'll, I'll tell you just real quickly about why I'm also very excited about Thor Ragnarok. Is just like when they had Kenneth Branagh do the original Kenneth right. Branagh. Sorry, I'm slaughtering his name. But Taika Waititi is just a freaking brilliant filmmaker. Right, and I cannot wait to see him let loose um, with that, with the resources to bring to bear on that film. He's been so good in the projects that he has been involved in. Uh, this is this is about the this is about as far 
of a stretch that they've done yet as far as giving an indie a, a, an indie filmmaker with a very specific point of view the keys to the kingdom and said just do whatever it's kind of like what didn't work with iron man 3 might work here yeah well i mean kenneth Branagh was uh, i mean he wasn't a huge mainstream director that's right and uh, I mean, a Shakespearean trained actor that, you know, did a lot of niche movies, you know, followed his passion in cinematography, uh, and then just gets handed this, you know, 800 pound gold plated torpedo <laughs> to go after. And he pulled it off. I mean, I thought, I thought he, um, I, I think it probably brought him in because of his Shakespearean chops and he can make it, you know, kind of a quasi Arthurian Shakespearean mythos of Thor and that, that's exactly what they needed for the first one but that but, but but that was like what was what was on the tin was in the can or right what was right. in the can was on the what was in the tin was on the label like when but, they when they cast him as the or when they gave it to him as the director you know they were asking give us a give us a grand Shakespearean tale tragedy or tale and make it Thor and you got that yeah but with, but, but with humor but with some humor, but with this new project, no, with, a, with a lot of humor, and Natalie Portman was responsible for a lot of it. As yeah, was, you're right, you're right? right. I mean, so so it was it was yes, we can have this pantheon mythos of you know larger than life deities, and yet they uh, they have all the same quirks and fallibilities uh, as humans, and we'll throw them together just to magnify how similar they are, but you know recognize the differences. Right, right. Well. With Thor Ragnarok, it's like you don't know what you don't totally know what to expect, except that in the same way, I feel like it's a lot like Iron Man three before Iron Man three came out, where like, well, they they took a a, a director or a creator that's not known for this kind of film, but is known for a certain type of body buddy movie, dialogue specific, tonally very quirky kind of product, mm-hmm. and then they gave them the big the big action figures and said, go nuts. Yeah, and I really liked Iron Man three, but as a commercial property, it, you know, it really struggled. I liked the experiment; I thought it was fun. I love that they did the experiment, and I think that this Thor is going to be similar in that way. That it's going to be unusual by a lot of people's standards. I think people are going to, a lot of mainstream viewers are going to go to that and go, "What the living shit is happening?" But that's okay. Right? Yeah, that's no, that's okay. a great thing. I think. Yeah. So the cast of Expanse. <laughs> yes, let's go back to the cast of Expanse. <laughs> so we've talked about how Tam- Thomas. J- no, this is great. I love. No, no, this is what's supposed to be free associating. But um, yeah, so Thomas Jane. Uh, ultimately, I think he's is he is he not the best known actor in that series? Like, was he no, like ten? Well, not not? No, Chad Coleman, uh, Fred Johnson is really well known. Yeah, but as a genre, uh, but he's but he's a, but he's a that guy though. What do you mean? He's that a character actor. He's like that about, guy, right? About Jared Harris. Yes, but he came in. But what I'm saying is, when they start the series and when they're like pitching it and they're saying like, "This is what we're going to do," he's the best known actor in that. Oh, absolutely. They, they, right? That's what sci-fi does. They go after right. a bunch of unknowns, right? That they right. can't afford. Right. right. But a lot of these guys are from other sci-fi shows, right? Like Stephen Strait as Holden, Cass mm-hmm. Anvar as Alex, Dominique Tipper, I think, is on some other show. Uh, there was one other, even um, uh, Florence, what's her name? Fabra, or whatever. For, but for... Shore Agdashlu has been in other things as well. She always plays that exotic alien. Well, so and... does she though? Yeah, See, oh, yeah. I've, I've only seen her in when she first broke out was her stunt casting in uh, in 24, where it was like, holy shit, where do they find this woman? Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. In the sleeper cell? Yeah. 
uh, I didn't know that she had been doing other like sort of more interesting projects like this. Yeah, like, let me let me go back. I'm seeing. So I'm trying to. I'm looking through his biography. I don't see Stephen Strait in other sci-fi shows. Well, I thought he was on other site. Really? Yeah. He always, so, looks, he always looks as high as a kite, doesn't he? Third Watch, which kind of his breakthrough. I remember him in that. Um, mm. Chase, and then Sleeping with the Fishes, Magic City, Revenge, Hot. No, I, I was, I, when I saw him first in, the, in this role, I kind of considered him sci-fi um, Jon Snow. Yeah. Right. Well, well, he he definitely he looked initially he looked like he might be the CW type character on here. Like the, he he looked like he was pretty and not you know not that interesting. But then his character became interesting, and I actually really like his kind of squinty. Like I like his his presence and his deep voice and everything else. I actually really like him. I think he's very compelling and not in a cheesecakey sort of poppy way at all. Uh-huh. Um, Cass Anvar as Alex, I, I I can't wrap my head around him because he's playing this. Like I can't figure out what's going on with that character. I like it, but yeah. it's a really interesting um, uh, future uh, cultural mishmash character, right? He's like a Texan. I I don't know. He's all over the place. Yeah, he's a Texan Indian Martian something something, right? Like he's just all over. He is such all a trip. Over. Such a trip. But, um, and and I actually really like it. I think he's very interesting. Yeah. And He's then, from Canada, right? Regina Canada. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Saskatchewan. Yeah, really neat. And then Shorey. Shorey. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I didn't know she was nominated for an Oscar once. I mean, good Lord. Um, but in addition to the expanse, she was in Star Trek Beyond. That's right. Commodore Paris, right? And then uh, last night, Scorpion. Um, she was also in Grimm. Um, oh. And... Uh, Interesting enough, Mass Effect 3, the video game. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I love her. I love how unusual... It's not just because she has an ethnicity that's not typical in Hollywood, uh, but I love how unusual she looks. Mm-hmm. The eyes and the face. I mean, she, all, the, all the things about her are what women are not supposed to look like on age two yeah. in Hollywood, right? Yeah. She has bulging eyes. She's got wrinkles. She's got saggy things on her face. She has this incredibly deep voice, and she's hard to understand. I think she's amazing. I cannot I stop watching her. And I love the the fashion. I love the style, this really um, elaborate formal wear she wears. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. She uh, steals every scene. Yeah. Uh, Dominique so Tipper. Dominique Tipper. But you don't like Chad Coleman, huh? You think he's that guy, even from The Walking Dead and then to this? Oh, no. No, no. Well, remember, I didn't watch Walking Dead. Okay. I'm not... But I'm not saying I don't like him. I'm saying I'm saying he's a that guy, meaning he's a character actor. I love character actors, but okay. we're talking about tentpole actors, right? Okay. I didn't think he was a yeah. tentpole. But the, the interesting thing is that he's in Arrow. Uh, he was in The Wire, The Walking Dead, and now The Expanse. And he so did something else. He's done something else that I, I ran across fairly recently, and I and, and I don't remember exactly what, but I was like, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to look him up really quick and see what that was. Um, the Green Hornet. He was in The Green Hornet. Oh, yes. I didn't see that. Yeah. But he, uh, I just love that. I just always remember him from The Wire and The Walking Dead. It was great to see him in The Expanse. I was really happy that he was part of the team. But you were talking about. Oh, I know. He was. Dominique Tipper? 
he was recently on the Goldbergs, and I was like, what the? <laughs> All right. So, yeah, Dominique Tipper, she's really neat. Uh, I, I think what, what I really like about it is that they are doing – it's everything I wanted in this kind of sci-fi where ethnicity and even gender are not important. Yeah. I'd like I'd like to see more gender fluidity, to be honest with you, in, in Expanse. But um, I, I like that the fact that she's, um, you know, she's of a different ethnicity than than Stephen Strait's character. And that is not even remotely a part of it. They're both they're both semi belters. She's a serious belter and he's a transplanted belter. But, you know, she's playing it very interesting. On the one hand, yeah, it's she's she's a dark skinned British actor. But on the other hand. She's a full-on belter in this in this yeah. role with the ta- yep. with the asymmetrical tattoo and the fade and all that stuff. I love it. What I what I really like is uh, the relationship with uh, that they have in the show with uh, her character Naomi and Amos. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if you saw the episode, not, but uh, there's one where Straight's character Holden uh, is they they confess that they're having an, a yes. relationship. You saw that. Yep. And then and then Amos comes like, yeah, no, you know, I'm glad she's like my sister. I mean. If she offered it up, I'd do it in a minute. But I still um, do it. But yeah, yeah, right. And then, and then James is like, uh, "Thanks for the talk. <laughs> I'm glad that we had this talk." He's been a fascinating uh, character because you cannot, yeah. you could not tell whether he was a complete psychopath on a leash, like if 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 she if if he felt like betrayed by her, would he just completely go, hmm. well, right, rogue or what? Do you, He's, the, do you think he did the brain zap? Do you think you got the brain that, that you know? It's a very good question. It's been an interesting component of that. I've been trying to decide whether he had it done or whether he's interested in it because he's starting to have conflicting emotions or something. I don't know. But I think you're right. I think maybe he did. But so his character, so I've read that in the books, they really focus in, I think there's a short story called The, um, the Churn that talks a lot about his childhood and that he is a product of a very, a very unpleasant childhood experience so it, it, it'll be really interesting to see if how much more of that comes out in the show but well, no, I mean, to... it was that singular event when he hit that kid you know the, the refugees that really set him on a different arc of the character ethos right so and it, his it, character it, has it, a refugee past right and uh and seeing his mom killed right and um it will be interesting to see how that all plays out his whole dynamic with that um post that post 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 postmodern uh, sci- uh, astrophysicist or whatever that that has been touched by the the proto molecule proto, proto molecule and is all ape shit. I, that guy's amazing. I love that guy. I just wish to heavens that they had called it something else. I know besides the proto molecule. Listen, uh, I'm as big a Robotech fan as the next guy, and even my comic, I even have the pro, I even have protoculture as the lab name in the the thing that he busted <laughs> the first uh, issue, but. Yeah, I, I totally get it. <laughs> but uh, the thing about um, wait, Wes Chatham was also in the Hunger Games. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. But I'll tell you what, it was nagging me as like I'd recognize this guy, but I can't think of anything I've ever seen him in. But I know I have a strong emotional connection to him, but I don't know why. And you know what it is? My my one of my favorite old shows that got canceled and I loved to death was The Unit, and he was in The Unit. You remember that? Uh, uh, yeah. He was, he was the new recruit. He was the new yeah. guy. That then w- there was questions of his loyalty and all that whole thing. He was yeah. that he was that character, and I and he was very um, he was still playing a very reserved, reserved military kind of kind of the, the quiet good old boy military guy. Um, 
but yeah, it was nagging at me until I finally figured it out. I was like, holy shit. But uh, anyway, so um, I also thought it was pretty interesting that uh, uh, Paulo Costanzo from Joey was in it until he wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. You know, I love high stakes shit. So, yep. Um, You know, that said, I think that that would have been they've had other examples of debris punching holes and taking people out that were less gratuitous. Like he didn't need his head removed right, right. but I right. Mean, like that was that was total b-movie horror movie stuff like it should have just been a, a hole punch in his in his forehead and then yeah there you go but you know it's just uh but it was really surprising it, it took me it's effective storytelling yeah that's you know i was stunned i couldn't believe they did that i was like oh shit so i was very impressed i think that was one of those early moments where i thought okay more of this just keep us yep. on our toes well, like again, uh, the Mars stuff with the with the the the, the captain of the Marine uh, frigate that uh, Fra- uh, Roberta. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he when he got punched, and he got ventilated. That was surprise. That was like, Dunk! he's a- that's it. Yeah. He's done. But I loved that also when they were in that in the scene that uh, uh, Garvey got killed in. They're in that uh, that uh, was it called the um, the brig, and you know. These holes have been punched, and now the biggest issue is how do we how do we how do we seal the hole? And we're in a prison cell. Yeah, that was fantastic. That's yeah. that's deep space hard sci-fi that I want all of that. Just more of that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I like the actress that plays Julie Mao, although I like Lawrence. I liked her more. Yep, yeah. I like more of her. I like more of less of her. Do you know what I mean? Like I like the flashbacks and the little bits and pieces of her, but I'm glad that we didn't get a lot of her. Stand she back. Better. Wait, just wait for it. Just wait for it. You know she's coming back, right? You know this. Well, so no, I. No, you know seen... this. You know this. Well, okay, but I've seen, I've seen the, I've seen being sent into uh, Venus I've or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, whichever, whichever. Venus think, or Mercury, I, one of those two. I think it was Venus. I think it was yeah. Venus. So I saw that. And I know I've read enough spoilery shit in the forums looking for something else. I understand that that her her story and uh, and, and Miller's story is not over. Um, but I'm you saying, mean Holdren, right? Hmm? Her and Holdren's story are not over. No, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, Miller. And I'm sorry. Although, yeah, got it. No, although, I got it. I was confused. I, yep, never mind. Although there is some interesting thing happening where Holden has started to manifest more of the behavior and thought processes that you would associate with Miller. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested to see, I, it seems to me that that's a, it's a subtle but deliberate thing. And again, I haven't read the book, so I don't know, but I think that there's something going on there. But, but I think, I think uh, Miller's arc through that crew impacted Naomi, James, Amos, and Alex in a way that, you know, kind of a unifying thing and at the same time a maturing thing. He was so much fun. I was so... Like I got, I got it that that was the story arc. I understood that he had to be finished, and that was what was beautiful about it. Well, but we don't know. And I, well, we but don't know he's finished. Well, but it'll never be him sitting around in the. It'll never be him sitting around talking as bluntly as he did about things and no, his so real reaction to things like the coffee and everything else. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I loved his approach to the way that he did that role. Yeah, his tired, honest response to things. Never felt contrived to me. Like it yeah. always felt very real, and I really like that. 
Uh, I, you know, the one that I'm having trouble getting into, and I feel like I should more than I am, is uh, Frankie Adams as uh, Roberta Bra, Bobby Draper, the the Mars, the Martian uh, Marine that survives the attack on Ganymede. Oh yeah, she's. That's another example where they cast someone that's not Hollywood Hollywood uh, typical for anorexic supermodel. Um, <clears throat> and obviously she has a big role to play in the books and everything else, but um, her insistence on being, you know, sir, yes, sir, we're going to take it to the earth. Nah, 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 nah. Like, I want I want to see her falling off that path sooner than I'm getting it. But again, I'm two or three episodes back, so I don't oh, know. But, but I, think, I think it's going to be happening soon at this point. She's yeah, already I mean, started talking. Well, in the last I saw, she was already being interrogated and they're like trying to condition her story and she's like saying yeah but the seventh guy wasn't a guy <laughs> and, yeah. you know and they're like no no just that's just don't don't say anymore so that's always the that's the seed that starts the the, the critical thinking right when you're when you've been indoctrinated or programmed a certain way and then the, and then they don't and then they don't treat you consistently with what you imagine what you were trained to believe that they were supposed to do to you well and and so to me, that, that whole thing opens up a whole lot of possibilities on um, who really knew what was going on, what was the conspiracy, how far did they bury it, and why did they bury it? Right. Right? Because if, if that colonel or major or whatever is trying to darker her story so she just uh, forgets about, you know, blue man running around naked without a spacesuit um, shooting at, you know, Earthers, uh, <laughs> I mean, what what's going on here, right? Like, <laughs> well, why was he shooting at Earthers? Why, or he or she, I don't mean to be um, gender specific on an alien, um, right. but, uh, you know, why that whole thing played out and why the Martians are trying to, you know, craft a story that just um, makes them look bad intentionally so they can do a mea culpa and get the heck out of Dodge before anybody finds out what really happened. The politics, all the politics and the complexity of it on this show I'm just astounded by how how well they're doing it. I think it's absolutely fascinating. It's it's kind of it's, it's kind of like they they're they're watching current events. It's un- incredible. incredible. We have the, the Belters, which are the EU. We have the right. Martians, which are the Russians, and the Earthers, which is the U.S. <laughs> and there you go. The um uh the the way t- the way at which they show how much work uh. Shora, Shora, what, what's her name again? Sorry. The Iranian? Uh, yeah. Shora, Shora. Shora. Yeah. I'm probably totally slaughtering her. We have a thing on Robot Kraken that um, we don't prepare and we don't uh, read ahead on how to pronounce people's names. And we read them more than we say them, so we automatically assume we're going to butcher everything. But um, how much work she puts into appear hawkish but try to save them from themselves at the same time I think is absolutely fascinating. But she is yeah. by no means the you know the the virtuous flower right i mean she's pulling the thing that, that she did with her friend the old the her her father's uh oh, friend yeah, yeah. Uh, former mentor the the mars yeah. ambassador that was so brutal so brutal well but you 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 have people in your life for a reason right and uh if you're that bent they are to be entertained and to make yourself feel better until you have to cash them in like chips right you're right. And uh, so there's one more cast member that is pretty minor player, but uh, I cannot stress enough how much I am intoxicated by them. Kara G plays drummer, the second in command on uh, Top <laughs> yeah. So she's she's indigenous uh, Canadian. Right. So she's yeah. she's, you know, an, an indigenous 
um, North American Indian. Um, I think she's amazing. <laughs> her accent and her the, her delivery, these weird short little short oh, yeah. little things that she says, and the weird little octave chirp that she has in her delivery. I find I really like dialect. Right. So, 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 so what is the deal with her and Anderson? Well, right? uh, she certainly. I, no, it, no, I don't know. What do you mean? There, 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 there's something. There's something. You, you think? I, I think it's going to be one of those where you think it's sexual, but maybe he's actually her dad or something. Because <clears throat> there's no way that. Uh, oh, interesting. I, I can't reconcile it yet. I didn't. And, I didn't read that yet. That's interesting. I, I. I've been reading that she's, that her. That she's been installed, to keep tabs on what's happening on Tycho Station, but that she is. Um, Jared Harris's, she's Jared Harris's man, right? No, no, she, but so, I thought yeah. she was a plant by him. No, I think she is, but um, you know, there's uh, there are a lot of conversations about oh, she's just like uh, concubine or an escort or you know, a, a working girl gone good or bad, depending on your perspective. But right. I, um, thought, I thought but, that uh, she was sexually I, I think, connected. I thought she was sexually connected to Dawes yeah. no. and has been planted to do the same thing with. Now, there's going to be something, there are going to be things coming up where I actually think we're going to find out it's a it's a much different twist. Well, and I was complaining earlier about there is not enough gender neutrality, and I have to say, I totally forgot about the fact that there was that one when uh, Naomi is having a station time, and she hooks up yeah. with with uh, with Drummer, and they have that little weird 80s <laughs> the weird dance 80s dance off, and they're just yeah. they're just writhing around, having a great time. And I was like, "Wow, this is really strangely sexual." But it's not, but it is. I yeah. like that. That was very like it read to me as this is Belter culture. That this yeah. is like you're not male or female, high or low class. You're Belter. <laughs> you're a convenient uh, home for the night. You are. <laughs> you are somewhat stable biomass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So and I, uh, and, and, yeah. and I just had a, I had another epiphany. I had no idea that Jared Harris was Richard Harris's son. I had no idea. No. No. Yeah. Oh my god. Talk. Yeah, epiphany is right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I had no idea. It's all just you know, surfing on the web and like there he is. Richard I love Harris. this guy. Yeah. I loved him on Mad Men. I loved him on Fringe. I, I love, love him on Holmes, Game of yep. Shadows. <laughs> yep, he's in. You're right, Moriarty. Right, he was in yeah. Crown. He was in the Crown. He's incredible in the Crown. Did you watch that? Yeah. Did you like it or no? I did. Yeah. I was. I was astounded that at that time they were removing lungs. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Re read the briefings. <laughs> yeah. Light my it's cigarette. The details. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, the, so, the Crown is really incredible. So are there any, so thinking, instead of cast, thinking about the production and the effects and everything, was yeah. there any effect that you really, really liked and any effect that you found fell really short of your expectation? Well, I, I really liked the, um, the battle scenes in, uh, in the vacuum and the, the horrible nature of ballistic weapons in that environment. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not like high energy lasers or anything like that. It's, you know, a bullet can wreak a lot of havoc as it's going through a high velocity round, um, and tear through, you know, just like micrometeorites can cause a, a shit ton of damage. Which we've seen, um, right? Yeah. I, I, I think they're doing a great job with with how they're showing that they get the ships up close. They, they have the rocket stuff. 
And then they yeah. get the ships up close, and it's straight up ballistics, right? Just try to pepper yeah. the hell out of it until you vent you vent enough of the chambers of the out, outer hull of the ship that they can't function. That is right. really cool. And I love how they show it. Like, there's multiple little strings of it, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely cool. The, 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 the one thing that I didn't like was this kind of hokey, let's carry a nuke on a short fuse. Uh, yeah. Arrows. I, thought, I thought that was just such a contrived plot vehicle. I just... Yeah, it seems like there'd be multiple fail-safes on those things. Right. I mean, uh, you would think at that in this time period that you could beat the shit out of a nuke, and it's not gonna. You can't. You can't. You can't breach it to malfunction like that. Yeah. Right? yeah. You could and, and, lose communication with it, but you. I don't see how you would be in a situation like that. But. Right. And similarly, the, the thing that I hated when the planetary Earth systems launched against Eros, uh, and the, like half the missiles just go awry by a subter hack. Uh, mm. And and then they catch him in a big effing net. No, um, but that was really to me that was a really good detail, because that seemed really realistic to me. Except for hijacking the command and control systems for okay, a planetary okay. defense system that, that 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 corrupts half of. No, no, I get that, but the, but right. the fact that they would use something as old school as a net to capture them, um, they do that shit today. They do really weird old old school. Oh, no, no. Hacks to grab things and net things to things. I mean, I think that was a really cool low-tech solution to capturing them that I really liked. Instead I, of I guess, you can imagine some I'm, other show it would be robots going and grabbing them. You know what I mean? Right. But but here's the thing that the uh, if they are in any way aligned to what the arming systems are on warheads today, right, right. once they reached a critical velocity, if they have a sudden deceleration event, they would go off. Right, right, and and it wouldn't be something that you could hack. But right? how cool? How cool has been? All right, so for so you so you're saying you don't like, so you do like all the ballistic stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it was just it was just the. Uh, what sorry. were your good and your bad? Your good was the ballistic stuff. Yeah, and and, and your, the way and that your bad they, was the hijacking of the system. Well, and and the the um, I they, they pay so much attention to. The integrity of physics and the conservation of mass and energy right. and the laws of thermodynamics and you know vacuum dynamics and geoplanetary um, uh, physics, and then to just have oh here's a nuke where I got to put my finger on a button every ten minutes or it goes off or right. I can I can hack into the CNC systems and and arming systems with missiles but suddenly that they're still armable and they're still usable after we capture them. Um, it's a, yeah. But yeah. how great was, how great was, you're just not, if you haven't read books or anything, how great is it that you're not, you never think that Miller is in peril? And then you're like, wow, wait a minute, there's no way of getting him now. Yeah. You're right. That was like great. That was, to me, that was really great because I didn't see that coming. I thought they were going to come and rescue him. And then when they, when they couldn't, when the thing was, okay, so that's, all right, let me go to my good and bad. Okay. So, yeah. Again, so I also like the ballistic stuff. Um, I really like how they're showing, and this is there are variations on this in various hard sci-fi stories, but I like that they show that uh, hyperspeed or whatever. They don't have hyperspeed, but they have high velocity. And that it's not only not going to, it's not going to play nice with your physiology, and you can't move your arms and your legs and whatever else. But on top of that, it's just going to knock you out and you're just going to die. I love those. I had a lot of trouble with the early those flashback scenes with the with the Cochran <laughs> of their world. Yeah. You know? But at the same time, I really enjoyed 
Um, I, I don't know why his head isn't as affected by the by the G's as, as his arms, but I really loved his the concept of his problem that he launched. He kicked into high gear. He put the turbo on and he couldn't turn it off because he couldn't reach the shit that they're still beholden to physical. They had to knock out the guidance controls so that he had to do it manually and then he couldn't reach it. That was right. a really great story. He's off in space, right? So I like the vast... But I'm, I'm, but I'm waiting to see how that ends. Right, correct. But right. I like I like that they're playing with the vastness of space and how you're dealing with things on a large scale. We have that concept in our current culture. We all have this general concept about ICBMs, right? That it's all about, you know, launch them and they're in the sky forever and... You're dead before you're dead, but you have 20 minutes, 20, 30, 40 minutes before you actually die because it's you're just watching the, the arc on the screen, right? We have that sense. But in this, I really love the fact that there's they really played up that thing where it's like military engagement, launch the shit. Okay, now let's sit around and watch them. You know, like that was that's a, that's they do a good job of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're watching it happen and and just kind of waiting and i love that whole thing about ganymede where they're like well i can't i can't get communication to them in time like i can send them messages but by the time they get it it will have been too late it will not make sense based on what their current situation is because there's a 20 minute lag between message response and i love that i like that kind of stuff a lot okay um i'm a little bit disappointed we haven't had flechette weapons because that was a big thing in all of my orbital cyberpunk campaign stuff which is you run around with those flechette guns basically dart guns on station because if you had any ballistic weapon at all it dooms everybody pop a hole yeah what's that no it's the william gibson uh preferred armament of the future exactly and and i wanted to see more of that there's way too many ballistic weapons on the station for my taste um however i really loved when they strung up uh Havelock, uh, Miller's partner, right? When the when the Belter gang strung him up and then and then they basically railed, they like nail gunned him to the wall and then stabbed him. I thought that was like the visceral nature. They 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 play up the 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 risk of puncture, like <clears throat> physical things puncturing things is a yeah. is a prominent theme, and I really like that a lot. Um, I like the the physics. I like the implied physics of things more than any other show or movie that I've seen. I love that. But on the other hand, when they choose to defy physics, I don't think that they've found yet an effective way to make it um, make sense. So in and of itself, the whole thing about taking Eros and turning it into a ship and defying all laws of physics and doing so with the protomolecule, that's, that's a god particle stuff that I don't like in my hard sci-fi. Like, I don't like any of that, <laughs> right? But they also couldn't, can, but even if you were to accept that somehow the shit can do that, that it is predictive and it's avoiding things and it's causing, uh, you know, uh, spontaneous inertial forces and all these things to move the, the asteroid, uh, they didn't convey it in a way that made enough sense to me when I was watching it. When he's yeah. watching, when he's watching the Mormon ship coming at him and then it kind of, goes past him and he's like wait they missed no they didn't i moved it was not i accept that his view he wouldn't know which of them moved but i just didn't i never got the sense that eros was physically moving in a way that doesn't you know in this theory in this uh pseudo physics world it didn't make any sense there weren't g-forces on the people on it 
there wasn't the sense that this thing is somehow being like picked up by an unseen hand and pulled into a different direction. It was like it just, you know, just kind of moved. Well, and it's, it's dark energy, man. I know, I get it. And they're like, they're like, oh, it's it's infinitely faster than us, and oh, look how it's just it's a dot on the screen, and it's impossible. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel like there was some other way of communicating that that would have been more effective than what they did because it was way too much angels and gods and devils in Battlestar Galactic all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Well, was, <clears throat> well the Mormon ship was chasing them down, so you know, the divine <laughs> power went out and intervened. How? Again, having not read the books, I was surprised by this, but how fucking great is it that the Mormons are building a super ship to go find a mystery planet where their god is? I thought that was amazing. <laughs> I thought it was absolutely amazing. And I love that he took hold of it. You know, like everything about that, the whole thing with Miller going and getting this, getting the speech, getting getting the indoctrina- indoctrination speech about the Mormon, uh, the Mormon path, and then basically walking away going, yep, I could use that ship. <laughs> that was pretty great. Oh, the other thing I don't like is uh, the I don't like any of the effects related to the protoculture or the proto molecule. Yeah, the, the proto weird. Yeah, yeah, like it's like a weird sort of crystal growth with spikes, and then it has blue glows. It, it feels real Star Trek Next Generation when I see it. Right, and when we, and when we find out what it is, it'll probably be even more disappointing. But but I do like well, what I do like is uh, when they. When he, when Miller gets on the ship and he's walking around trying to figure out what's going on, and you see this particulate in the air, right? And it's not just, not just contaminants floating around, but it actually has paths and it's moving around and it's, it's a system. That part I thought was very effective how they did that. Yeah. So, um, and then also I think to some degree the Martian, uh, sort of uh, armor suits, that whole thing where they and everyone's got the little mag boots and stuff, but. How they're like walking around and then they just stand in place and hold their arm up and okay let's go let's hold this line like that didn't feel like any military strategy that made sense to me like would why didn't they go for cover or why didn't they take any sort of any any position to reduce their 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 exposure to being hit by anything they just stood there yeah right so that that was a little weird to me I don't know I I, I have yet to buy them as as Marines at all. No, when, when their tactical response is to just form a line and then just uh, and know, what does a line shooting. mean? What does a line mean when you're in, a, in an open expanse of, so to speak, of you know thousands of kilometers in every direction before you hit a ridge? Right? What's a line mean? Right. Well, and it's, and and I I think they they lost an opportunity to emphasize the three D nature of life in zero G. Right. right with it, which they do really good in some circumstances, but in the battle scenes uh, with the soldiers. You know, it's still this 2D topography, uh, kind of old yeah. school lineup, shoot, die, reload, shoot again. Um, well, and they had, and they were definitely playing up a North Korea, South Korea kind of thing, right? Like it was like they're standing there expecting that the people on the other side are not going to cross. And on the 38th cross. parallel, yeah. Right, right. And uh, also, though, speaking of the, the whole 3D thing, those early scenes of Julie Mao. And you don't know why she's locked in the room and all that stuff. That was really effective way to start the show that she's like trapped and, and wrote in like the zero G's all over the place and mm-hmm. it's spinning, but it's not right. So she's kind of bouncing around a little bit and she's waiting to be rescued. That was really interesting. I like that a lot. But yeah, the, the actual the planet side Martian stuff didn't feel effective as military stuff at all to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. It almost seemed like they didn't expect. On the one hand, it almost seemed like they were suggesting they didn't expect to actually have to engage, 
But on the other hand, with all the talk, you would ex- you would think that they would be more gung ho about it. Like if anything, they would be too aggressive, and they didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, although, I, and the other thing is, I really liked it. I liked on her team that they would uh, that there was all of that rat the razzing the 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 human born team member that had been on Mars for a while and was a Marine and everything else, and how they were they were harassing him in a way. That's a that's a conventional component of culture that we see today right mm-hmm. pick picking at the outsider and you know pick pick picking at the outsider until they until someone snaps um i thought that was very interesting especially yeah. given that they had painted this we saw from the earther and belter side this idea that the martians were very uh uniform they're almost borg-like in their in their uh devotion to their training and their military precision and then you see them in a unit format and they're actually very divisive. Yep. Right. So, so you are what, one or two episodes ahead of me, we think. Uh, the only one I haven't seen is the one that just came out over the weekend. Okay. So I think I'm one episode ahead. I saw the seventh man and yeah, so I guess the pyre is the one I haven't seen March 15th. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And, and then the one that was uh, March 22nd. The Weeping Somnambulist. Yeah. Ooh, I can't wait. I wish I could see this now. I uh, So, did you watch Peaky Blinders? No. The, no? Uh, well, we started to, but then I only saw like three episodes of it. And why is that? Uh, time management. Okay. Like, but, but not you didn't, it's not that you didn't like it, you just... No, I loved it. I, yeah. I'd like to come back and pick it back up. Not that there's not... Um, uh, stalling tactics in that show of them walking in slow-mo through an iron forgery uh, you know on their way to beat someone up they do a lot of that throughout the series but uh, well and riding the horse i, I mean yeah. I, I really like the kind of, uh, i saw it all the way up to that where he's riding the horse during the industrial revolution and it was really a an apt metaphor for the entire show i really um I finished it. I finished what I thought was the end of the series, and then I looked it up and found out that it was ongoing. Um, so I'm really intrigued as to where it goes. But uh, when you get to the end of it, it's—I mean—it goes straight Scarface. So it's really interesting to see the arc of this family beyond what the first few episodes that you've seen, mm-hmm. um, which is not particularly a spoiler to say that they—they they have enough success to do them harm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, and to tear themselves asunder. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. So. So what's so uh, what's what's next in cinemas that you're looking forward to? This is sort of an informal uh, um, look ahead into. What do you mean besides besides uh, the, the the beauty that is Logan? Um, so which, which I still can't get over. I just love that movie. <laughs> Why I think about it, um, but <clears throat> upcoming films. I mean, obviously, I can't wait for the new Star Wars. The Last Jedi, right? Right. I can't wait for Thor Ragnarok. I can't wait for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm super I, into that. Yeah, I, I'm i looking forward to the train wreck that will be the Justice League. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun even if it's terrible, right? Yeah. Um, but the, 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 those are pretty much my, my highlights. Oh, Ghost in the Shell. I can't wait. I cannot even. I, yeah. I have gone on record now as being optimistic that it's going to be good, so I could mm-hmm. be I could be shamed, but uh, I really want it to be good. And yep. if nothing else, the practical effects have impressed me so much. 
You see mm-hmm. the thing where Savage went and looked at the went to the shop and looked at all the animatronics for the for the Geisha bot and all that and how it's, yeah. it's all physical. I love it. Yep. And then and then uh, Alien we're, Covenant. We're physical, I'm, Sebastian. We're physical. Um, and then uh, yeah, so Alien Covenant. We'll see mm-hmm. what happens. Um, and then of course there's uh, <laughs> the Mummy with now. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Cruise taking a turn. You know, it's 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 interesting that at this point in its early promo that it's indistinguishable from a Mission Impossible movie. But on the other hand, I kind of don't mind that. Like I, you know, the, the the sort of the period the period approach to the to those uh, to those horror characters is kind of played out to me. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you would introduce it in the, in a contemporary era and set it in that sort of action adventure uh, environment, I don't know. That's interesting to me. The, yeah. the the early images of uh, what's her name as the mummy, you know, there's a little too much of well, she's wearing a mummy, you know, a mummy two piece with some wrappings, you know, it's a little bit too cheap. Well, you know, the, the Egyptians really loved bikinis. Oh, they I sure mean, did. People, yeah, people don't recognize that, but that was mm-hmm. a very, you know, common accoutrement in that period. Of course. <clears throat> Wait a minute, I just then, realized something. Go ahead, go ahead. And then, and then, of course, Spider-Man: Homecoming, War yes. for the Planet of the Apes, and Dunkirk. I think are going to be awesome. Um, War, for, War for the Planet of the Apes is going to be a challenge because I think the first two were interesting because it was the lead up to what you know is inevitably going to happen. But but <clears throat> those prequel kind of stories are interesting because if they can tell you a compelling story when you know the outcome, then it's a good movie, right? Right. And now and now we're getting straight up into you know shit going south. So right. I, I hope they maintain the equilibrium because I really like the first two. Yeah. And I liked how different they were from each other as well. I did too. Both, both of which I, I've seen on trips to Indonesia. So I don't know. I associate it somehow with that, which is weird. Yeah, I think I, I'm i very hopeful for it. I think they're doing a really good job with the, the whole trilogy. So um, the things that I had the biggest question marks on are like Valerian. Yeah. Right. I, uh, but he has no editor. So that's always a challenge. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot and like the uh, casting choices are so weird. Somehow. Yeah, Somehow I liked him as John Connor, even though it was really, really, really weird casting. Um, him and Claire Danes, I, I enjoyed that, even though it was weird and wrong. But here, him and Cara Devino, whatever her name is, it seems... You're, so talking, about, you're talking about Dane DeHaan, right? Yeah. Yeah. But Rihanna's going to be in it, so it's got to be good. Uh, hey, listen, that's sort of like the... Uh, that's like uh, Ruby Rod in Fifth uh, Element, right? <laughs> it's just repatterning everything. Where's where's the where's the nine hundred two one zero character exactly? But I think it's going to be one of those. Um, what was the Wachowski brothers' latest movie that was just a travesty? Jupiter. Jupiter. Yeah, I just Which I apparently liked more than you guys, right? I was like, it was interesting, uh-huh. and you guys were terrible. <laughs> no, it was it was a it was two hours of my life I'll never get back. Um, As Charlie Sheen said once, it was a can yeah. of smashed asshole. There you go. And then, of course, we're going to have the debacle that is Transformers The Last Night. I refuse to see that. I haven't seen any of them since the first one. I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. it. It makes me feel like I'm going to I'm going to have one of those psychotic, psychotic breaks. Yeah, like I'm going to have some sort of weird problem and stab whoever's <laughs> nearest me. <laughs> Stabbing them until all their Tommy's joint juices fly out of their abdomen. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. What are you looking forward to? Uh, I want to see all those things. I also want to see Free Fire, which is out mm-hmm. now, just because it looks like it might be 
uh, I don't know, just good old fun. Like not even doesn't even need to be a thing. Just let it be, let it happen. Kind of movie. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, like you said, Alien Covenant. I choose to be optimistic, even though. Um, and then I forgot Dark Tower as well, which I should oh yeah sure. Forget. And I haven't read those books either, so I'm coming in cold. You know, it's funny. Dark Tower and uh, American Gods are two series that I have talked to a lot of people, like on the convention circuit. I've talked to fans who are really into those. You never, you never read American Gods. No, I didn't. Wow. But I see the material now, and I see the adaptation. I see how they're translating what I've heard about of these characters, and it looks really exciting. American yeah. Gods looks really good. Yeah. To me. And I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse that I haven't read the, the source material, but you know, I think it's interesting enough in its presentation as a, as a, as TV media that I'm like, wow, that's cool. I'll try that. When it was described initially, I was like, no, I don't, I don't think I want to see it. But once mm-hmm. I saw what they had done, I was like, okay, so, yeah, interesting. Well, we have a lot of stuff to look to look forward to for the rest of the year, which is which is good. Yeah, we have a wealth we have a wealth of riches and riches, <laughs> but then we still have we still have to deal with. Uh, the Furious Fast or whatever the heck it is. Um, <laughs> so I've seen the first movie only, and as and I, under the other than people like Fast Cars, uh, you know, you and I are of the bullet. We're, mm-hmm. we're closer to the bullet generation than this generation, right? So yeah. C, CGI car racing doesn't feel at all as interesting as Bullet and French Connection and To Live and Die in L.A. Right? That is intense car <laughs> cinematography, right? Mm-hmm. Fast and Furious just feels like see, the, when I when I saw that first film I was like it just feels kind of like I'm watching someone play a video game right well then I skip ahead and I watch the trailer for the current one and I was like what is even happening man it doesn't, <laughs> remote, it doesn't feel remotely like a here's an excuse for a car chase movie I did like that they had a tank but yeah no, I don't know give it time no, won't do it I don't think I'm going to see any of those other movies even if uh, Wonder Woman's in it Okay. Or or was in those ones. Hey, on Expanse, there's a thing we do on the show where we pick a red tentacle moment. In other words, uh, it's sort of like what was the best, what was the little standout thing, what was a standout concept or a standout scene or something that was your favorite. I know that's a broad wow. subject, but on Expanse, what would you give your your red tentacle award to? <clears throat> red tentacle? Like the the best thing ever. Yeah, for, so far for you in watching it. Wow. Um, you have to give me a minute to come up with that because it's several. Um, <clears throat> I, I probably have to. Hmm. I think it, it'd have to be the moment when the four crewmates come together on that uh, on the ship and decide to act together to save their ass mm. as opposed to falling apart. I, I'd have to say that's probably the, the defining moment of the show for me in that they were able to pull that off and come together despite all their differences and being this mm. the, the motley crew from that represent all the major disparate elements of the the enterprise and the society that's in the expanse and and still pull it off and, and make it work. That mm. might have to be it. I think my favorite moment in the series was Miller in Mao's apartment for like the second time or whatever it was. And he looks out the window and he sees the, the, uh, 
artificial bird because all the work that went in, first of all, the symbology of it, but also all the work that they went into showing that it's trying to fly with normal bird rhythm with its wings, but the force, the centrifugal force and the artificial gravity was meaning that it was heavier. Like it had that weird sort of things that it would like flap and kind of swing to the side and flap again and swing to the side. The, the way that they, like the way that they were trying to approximate something from a planet that many of the people there had never seen, but how it couldn't fit the physics of the space station was mm-hmm. really fascinating to me. Similar, like we talked about, I think in person about how I loved how he went to pour the drink in one scene with, uh, with Harris at the mm-hmm. bar, went to pour the drink and he poured it. He held the hand out to the side. So that the arc of the drink poured into the glass, but it was a long sweep of the liquid, right? To the glass. I don't mm-hmm. But I think as far as a mo- an overall moment in the series so far that I love the most, and I think it was when they are thinking that they're about to be killed and then discover that the missile, whatever, was was going for the Canterbury instead. Mm-hmm. And it took out all the entire ship and all of those people that they were from and how isolated and freaky that was. I mean, granted, the one Belter kid got isolated from his uncle and he's out in space and you think he's dead until they find him. That was a scary thing. But that moment for them, when it went right over their heads and took out their ship, took out their their sort of mothership, I thought that was really unexpected and scary and intense moment for them. And it really hammered home the idea that if you don't have your support structure in deep space, you're you're screwed. I really mm-hmm. like that. So I think that was my red tentacle moment. Okay. All right. So, do you have one mother, one more uh, segment? Maybe we talk about very briefly, and that is what we call the red tentacle recommendation. Since uh, we have you on as a guest, I want to know: is there a book or a show or a movie you've seen or something that you want to recommend that you that you really dug? That just recently, or any at any point in life? I don't care. Uh, well, quite contemporary, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. I, uh, I would have to come back to seventies. I think that's the best book I've read in probably the last three years. Really? Yeah. yeah. Do you think it's his best? No, not by a long stretch. I'll always be, <clears throat> I'll always be a Snow Crash fan or a Zodiac fan of Stevenson's. Um, I know, I know you're, you're probably going with uh, something else later on in his chronology, but um, Snow Crash is still. Well, what do you think? What do you, what do you think? I think is his best book, Cryptonomicon. Yeah, you're right. Amy <laughs> Shafto for the win, dude. Uh, for gold in the Philippines, how could you beat that? I know, I know, but you know, the cliche, uh, San Francisco Victorian house and a you know bitchy wife and uh, I don't know anything about those escaping, things. Escaping and going off to Hawaii with some sun bunny. Uh, <laughs> you know, there you go. I get that. But that was his first. That was his first taste of the, the um, multi-time period storytelling, right? I agreed, but and, and, and I, I like that a lot. And if I was going to go for a Shafto, I'd go for Bobby. Yeah. Uh, when he when he when he's at the end of days and he goes through the roof hole with the grenades and just blows himself up. Uh, that that's probably my favorite Shafto moment. But um, the uh, I I. I uh, Snow Crash is still because it was my first introduction to his, to him, and it's still my favorite Neil Stevenson book. All right. Okay. 
So now wait a minute. Snow Crash, I need to give another chance. For some reason, when I read it the first time, I was I didn't I didn't find it as remarkable as you talk about it. So I know well, I need to give it another look. But I mean, in your arc, you were probably really influenced by the Gibsonian perspective of things. <clears throat> and you could really, <clears throat> sorry, you could really uh, view Snow Crash if you're a little cynic as kind of a derivative moment and output based on, you know, CJ's work, Bill Gibson, um, you know, that whole genre. Well, but, in, in, by the same token, even though it's totally unfair, I felt like uh, Sterling was very derivative. Oh, of course. Um, and then, you know, if you think about it, no, I, even, you, even though even though Sterling wrote a book with him, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. But but then, but and also the only difference between Sterling and Gibson is that Sterling played with the system and Gibson didn't. Right. Gibson refused to acknowledge the wow. the genre that he was in. And Sterling was like, I'll take it. <laughs> right? I, I, I'll, I'll call it. I'll call it for what I see. It is that um, Sterling will never be as good as Gibson. No, I agree. I agree. But once I, you know, I was late to it, like years after I was into uh, Gibson and uh, Walter John Williams and a few others, I finally broke down and, and read Sterling on his own. And I was like, oh, the Transmatrix kid. Was that the one? Yeah. yeah one yeah, of those. Yeah. yeah, I started reading one. And I was like, OK. And what, one thing that he had that I found interesting that Gibson didn't play with much was the biomechanics. The idea that right. there would be, you know, this that whole other dimension of of pre-engineered mutations and stuff. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Well, and, it's, and, it's better than I thought. And then that's one thing I like about Stevenson's Snow Crash is that the kind of abiotic biotic interface um, and people killing themselves because they're they're seeing flash advertising on their cranial circuit because they went into a dirty porn site mm-hmm. and um, they got hacked, got infected with the virus. But, um, I mean, anytime you get avatars and then, you know, uh, Alaskan assassins uh, with glass blades running around. Uh, all right, I gotta read yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, I, sorry, it hits all my buttons. Yeah, I'll take it. So uh, I'm just astounded that we never uh, role played together. Honestly, we got We have to rectify that because yeah. uh, uh, when I think about those campaigns I was running in this sort of environment, well, you uh, tried. You, you 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 invited me to several events. I just never was able to make it over. Oh Jesus. I mean, the, the whole thing was that I pulled after a lifetime of playing with other gamers. My whole deal was that I pulled non-gamers into this environment that were intelligent people with imaginations who liked sci-fi stuff, but they had never played role-playing games before. Mm-hmm. And it made for an really, really interesting gaming experience. It was really fun, especially since my my gaming my my judging style is sort of free free roam. Right? I set up the envir- I set up the scenario, and I let them do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you would have had a field day with it, and we got to do that again. We got to figure that out because uh, I think you would have a great time. Glass, 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 glass blades and all. So, yep. I have a challenge for you—a spontaneous challenge based on your recommendation. Um, thinking of Cryptonomicon and thinking of your favorite Shafto Bobby moment, I want, you, I want you to do a fantasy casting in a Cryptonomicon movie. Who would play Bobby Shafto for you? Oh my gosh! Really? Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert! I already have an answer, but go ahead. You already, you already have an answer. Yep. Um, and we're talking the 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 World War II Bobby, right? I'm talking. I'm I'm talking when we last see Bobby, right? Okay. Yeah, I'm talking Philippines hunting for gold. Oh no 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 no! I've seen World War II Bobby. Yes, right, right. Yeah, World War II Bobby, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then I'm. Let How me... old do you think he is at that point? Uh, mid twenties. 
right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Right? Um, maybe maybe even late 20s. Yeah. Um, and I'm, oh my God. What are yeah. the affectations oh. you think of when you think of Bobby? Um, idiosyncratic, introverted, um, insecure, and acts out in every way that you could never want. Um, <laughs> Hyper-intelligent. <laughs> I'm going through this list here real quick, and you're going to love... Uh, what list did you find? Possible no, no, no. Bobby Shaft? Don't look up Bobby Shaft. No, 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 no. Casting I'm, on... I'm, I'm, no, no, no. That's not going to work. Um, you know, I think uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Huh. Uh, right? And okay. I, I think... Um, and here's my wild card. I'm going to go with Shia LaBeouf. Well, that's interesting. I don't hate him the way people hate him. I actually find him very watchable. Yeah. I just don't watch I don't watch him in his real life. No, right. I don't either. Yeah. But All right. those are the ones that I would go for. I will give you I will give you I will give you two. The the more um, slightly more traditional or sort of sort of on models choice I would have. Honestly, while we were talking about this, it sort of connected for me. Stephen Strait. Yeah. Right? If you imagine his head shaved and he's pushed to the brink, knife in his mouth, right? Yeah. <laughs> Diving in the hole. Well, right? and, and seeing and seeing his, you know, the love of his life infected with leprosy and, you know, oh, yeah. shunned, shunned off. I mean, yeah, I mean, he had a spiritual um, total collapse and a mental collapse as a result for it. Right? I mean, he was yep. totally broken. Just totally broken. But my wild card is Crispin Glover. Wow. You think, but he's way too old, don't you think? Well, but, you know, when we fantasy cast, we can say we can jump from time period. I, who cares? You're right. Time hey. is not as time is not important. When I cast uh, when I cast on on the old forum, uh, Batman Year One, I cast Joan Chen as uh, Catwoman. <laughs> and it was it was 25 year old Joan Chen. Let me tell you. <laughs> But, but, but uh, yeah, at least you didn't go Radcliffe on me. I was afraid you were going to go Radcliffe on me. Radcliffe, oh no, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, no, 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 no. But uh, okay, so then uh, what about uh, what about Amy Shafto, who I may or may not have a, a keen interest Ooh. in? <laughs> Kristen Bell, no. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, but she's but she's more. She was described as, yeah, being, yeah. You know, Eurasian. at least half, half, yeah, right, Eurasian, half Asian, half, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I would go Lucy Liu if we were going to go, you know, well, so, so just it, any, any point yeah. in time, right? Right, right. <clears throat> right. It's, um, yeah, it, it's an interesting problem, right? Um, but if you can go Crispin Glover, I don't know see why I can't. Um, <laughs> um, Ray Dalton does not count. I was I was going through the 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 names and the cast members of the Expanse because um, they're kind of all half breeds in a mm -hmm. way, um, which I love. love and I mean that in a positive way, right? Mulatto mm -hmm. um, is the future, right? Yeah. Well. Unless the Republicans get their way. Um, so let's see. 
Billy Zane. <laughs> Billy Zane. No, no thing. Um, how about Isabella Long? Leon. Mm. Isabella. Leon. Here, I'm going to summon Indaba because I can't figure out what you're talking about. Let's see. Oh, wait a minute. What is she? I saw her in 12 Golden Ducks in the Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. I remember her from the I... Mummy, right? Okay, so um, I'll take that. Uh, Portuguese Macau, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Ah, good call. So uh, my based on my first three or four readings but, of that. But, but, but let's be clear. Lucy Liu, Lucy Liu would still be my first choice if time was not. Sure. Uh, sure, sure. With freckles. I get it. Um, yeah. The That's also my first choice for many things. So, um, Michelle Yeoh would first, be my other. Uh, yeah, my okay. Other, right? Right. My first three or four readings of that book, she was she definitely um, fell onto the, the Asian side of the mix, right? And mm-hmm. so, based on what we've seen recently, I was going to say Jessica Hendricks from Hendricks, Jessica Hendricks from Iron Fist. She is oh yeah, yeah really, yeah. really, really captivating as a um, Asian American with a she Asian American or Asian Canadian. I don't even know, but has a mix of things going on. Really, really watchable and interesting. So I can totally see, and particularly because I associate. Uh, Shafto with this very sort of pragmatic, like the the diving the diving bikini with the belt, the webbing the webbing harness and all that stuff and the knife and all that. I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking more about uh, Bobby Shafto, thinking more about the mix. Also, what about Olivia Wilde? Yeah, that that works, right? I really I really don't know the ethnic uh, breakdown of her ancestry, but she has a really strong physiological look that she looks like she's half and halfway between both to me so i don't know mm-hmm. interesting in her face very exotic face i like that so yeah and she's married to jason and she's married to jason sudeikis which there's hope for us all yeah <laughs> i mean i don't need hope anymore but i mean you know in theory there's hope for us. yeah he told no, her so a joke her, but but her parents are uh completely let's see andrew and leslie cockburn um Say what now? She was born in, so the mom of, so Olivia Wilde, the yes. mom was born in San Mateo, California. Not expected. And her father? And her father was Andrew Cockburn. What's and her ethnic background? And, and, and he's an ornithologist. <laughs> That's so no, no wonder she married, uh, she married Sudeikis. Okay. There's hope for you. <laughs> so yeah, wait a minute. And, and so up, And he grew up in Ireland. He's, so he's Irish. Um, County Cork, actually. Hmm. So what's her mix? It's Irish and what? Irish-American. She has such unusual features for that. Yeah, I know. I know. Her her eyes and her facial structure and everything. Her jawbone, everything. Yeah. So I, while we were talking, I did a deep dive into Isabella Leong's uh, um, pedigree. Mm-hmm. What an interesting-looking person. Yeah. So I just remember her. I just remember her from the mummy. She was like she, the, the only thing that stuck out, <laughs> yeah. so to speak. Yeah. But, um, well, dude, this has been super cool. Uh, I have a feeling I may be wrong. 
have a feeling we're going to have you on here again because I'll tell you what, here's the thing. So I told you that Chris, you know, he he watches a movie and then he gets stuck on the ne- he's got the next thing that comes in and then he can't remember the details of the previous one, which I totally understand. He's fully at capacity. He's got so mm-hmm. much going on. Um, where I sort of nerd out on stuff that I saw six months ago, a year ago, and I and I remember elements of it that that bothered me or didn't bother me. I have a feeling that you and I might end up talking on this podcast in the future about some of the projects that maybe we've seen that are not as current. And yeah, revisit, I, and revisit. I, I'm play, I'm I'm plagued with a, a really good memory for things long ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so good on the short-term stuff, but long-term stuff, I'm old <laughs> enough. Do you so, know where your child is right now? Yeah, we, 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 we have. Do you the, know where we she have, was? <laughs> yeah, we we have the different RAM-ROM issue. We have different aspects of it. That's right. But so, yeah. I yeah, I definitely think that would be a fun thing to do. Is we could retread on some 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 earlier films that we've that we've watched that we've enjoyed because uh, the funny thing about Chris and I is that we we keep a laundry list of stuff to talk about. We have this 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 bullet point list of subjects for podcasting sessions it's like 30 oh really <laughs> 30 or 40 long right and i'm yeah. constantly and every time i go and watch a movie or i rewatch a movie i take my little notes about the things that i was interested in or whatever and then i go to and it used to drive him nuts because we go to talk about even if it was a movie we just saw i'd have this like bullet point list of all the stuff i want to talk about and he was just like well i remember i liked it <laughs> because we have a different approach for how we captured that image that 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 info and i know that my brain is a sieve so i write it down <laughs> He's in denial that his brains is sieve, so he's <laughs> kind of running with it. So there are a lot of movies that I've seen in the last few years, as as well as obviously before that, where he he you know in order for us to talk about, it, he was like, well, I need to rewatch that. But I I have a feeling, and I talked to him a little bit about this. I th- I have a feeling we'll do a thing where maybe you and I will do a segment where you and I are talking about a movie that hasn't happened in the re. It's not a new movie, but it's something that we've seen in the recent past or in the semi-recent past, and we can revisit it. So I think mm-hmm. that'd be super cool. Very great. That assumes that everybody doesn't come and tweet to us that they thought you were horrible on this podcast. Well, you know, which could happen. That happens, that happens all the time. Don't worry. I know. <laughs> all right, man. Well, cool. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for your debut. On is this your first podcast? It's my first podcast ever. What do you think about the fact that you're doing radio like the old days, but it's delayed like now uh, i'm pretty excited about it I, th- I thought you might be yeah cool man no, it, it's a, it's like being the old timey show i love it yeah i love it who, who would have thought a couple <laughs> years ago that we'd be sitting around doing you know recording radio shows in the midnight hour where our kids are slumber, slumber well, the, only thing, the only thing that's missing is we're not broadcasting live on a ham radio set you know that would be the only other element that could be you know way over the top did you know I may have told you this, but did you know that Carl and I were once going for a radio show? Really? Did I tell you that? Back at uh, back at Cal Poly, we 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 concocted. This is the root of basically this half of my life. So he and I bullshitting about movies all the time. We're like, man, we should have a radio show. We should talk about movies. And we're like, well, what do we do? And so we called the we contacted the local uh, radio station in. San Luis Obispo and said, hey, we want to do a, a radio show, a live radio show, and talk about movies and stupid stuff. And they're like, okay, we'll give you Sunday from 3 to 5 a.m. And so we're like, thank you for playing. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the end of it. Yeah. And, and the, you know, yeah. the dead zone. 
Yeah, right. And, and you know, the reality is that would have been actually a super great opportunity. And if we had done it, it would have been a great thing. But at the time, we couldn't conceive of it. We're like, you would have been completely unfettered. You could have done whatever you wanted. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? But so like a few years later, uh, I built the monkey monkey versus robot or monkey plus robot reviews blog. And we started <laughs> reviewing movies that we saw. And he reviewed like two and then fell off of it. And I kept going. With the ghost of monkey. <laughs> the ghost of monkey. But, uh, I, yeah, I still have all the, the, the art and stuff that I did for the for that old timey blog with, you know, a little monkey and the robot fighting each other and everything. And that led to that led to that aspect of the R3 forum and talking about you know, multimedia projects on there as well as art and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that led to this today. There you go. So, uh, you know, it, had we only done that show. He and I would be—we'd have a hit show on Breitbart right now. Yeah, right? and and I'd be eating a bullet. <laughs> it would be like a time travel thing. You're like, ah, oh, I know what yeah. he could have become. What? Well, the Nazis were right. <laughs> hey, speaking of that, have you watched uh, *Man in the High Castle* yet? No, and it's it's on the top of my to-do list, especially now after November eighth. Hey, talking about to-do lists, do you actually write one down or do you just have it in your mind? And I do not I do not write anything down. I, plausible deniability is key. Okay, so I, I rely heavily on Evernote and uh, Wonderlist for keeping track of stuff because I can't remember anything. So I, I, Evernote, I, use, I use Evernote but, uh, and, and Microsoft OneNote, but it's all for work and uh, electronic well, lab notebooks. I don't do it for personal stuff. Maybe that, I should. That's unacceptable. I use Evernote for everything. No. But, uh, oh. The but I've been increasingly revealed. Using, no, no. But I've increasingly been using Wonderlist for making lists because it works well, and you can you can share into other people and stuff. But I have a shows and films to watch list, and I have on here, among other things, I have Humans on AMC. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Good. Uh, I, Night- well, two episodes of it. I think it's K- uh, Carrie Ann was really uh, into that show. Yeah. Robots. 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 Robots in peril. Robots with blue eyes. Hmm. I have the night manager here. Mm-hmm. I have uh, Z on Amazon. I don't know about that one. That one I think my wife yeah. likes. That's a, uh, you know, ragtime. Uh, Christina Ricci playing a ragtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and normally I'm a big fan of everything Christina Ricci does for all the obvious reasons, but um, yeah. And I like old timey, so yeah. How about uh, Travelers on Netflix? Have you seen that? No, I have not. That's time travel. That's a team, uh, like a, a, a spunky team that's traveling through time to change history for the better, but they make it worse. And that's uh, that's uh, Timothy, what's his name? Oliphant? From, uh, no, uh, from... So I got to show wait, just wait. I got to make a retraction. If it could be anybody for Bobby Shafto, Timothy Oliphant would be the guy. Yeah, I like that. So sorry, I got I got to right. go back and, and recast. Sorry. All right. So diverging right. from Travelers, did you see Santa Clarita already? No. 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 Have you not. haven't seen Santa Clarita? Nope. It's on Netflix. Nope. Do you know about it? Nope. Okay. You have to go watch this. You have to do it immediately. You have some free time. You got to do this. Yeah. It's. On uh, it's <laughs> what. Between now and dawn, I'll you know I'll go watch it. Yeah, no, no. Listen, it's uh, it's Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant, and they are real estate agents in Santa Clarita, California. What? 
suburban life, super. How have super, I? How have I? Super surreal. This? And she discovers she's undead. <laughs> Total black comedy, random as shit. She just like suddenly wants. So wait, wait. It's so Santa Clarita Diet. Is what Correct. It's yes. Okay. Gotta watch it. You gotta okay. watch it because you've never seen Timothy Oliphant doing anything like this. He's playing like a stone surfer dude, but not, not the brute, not the uh, Brad Pitt, don't condescend in me, man, kind of way. It's like he's, he's trying to be positive. Everything's gonna be good. Everything's gonna be a okay. And it's so random. And he's in like capris and flip flops. It's just so weird. But so you don't, you don't know everything about Timothy Oliphant because he's played that character in the past. When? Where? Uh, hold on, I'm gonna get it for you. Um, I refuse to believe it. No. Um, there, there's a couple where he plays uh, the league. He played that in that TV show. Um, I haven't seen the league because it's fantasy football, and fuck that. No, it's it's actually really good. It's a really good play on the whole thing. Hmm. Um, my name is Earl. Played one on there. No. Um, I don't remember him on that at all. Yeah. No. And. There's one where he just plays, he's just a total douchebag. Um, well, anyway, I yeah. liked it because to me, Timothy Oliphant is nothing but 100% Deadwood. So this is great. Well, I mean, you're you're, you're totally biased then, right? Because he's you're, you're typecasting him. That's not fair. Sex in the I City. Don't... He was Sam. He was a total stoner loser dude in Sex in the City. I refuse to acknowledge that. <laughs> So going back to my list, Travelers on Netflix. It's Timothy. Is it Timothy Hutton? Is that right? That yeah. he was on. He was on the show with the con artists, right? Yeah, that's right. Timothy Hutton. So he's the one leading this random group that looks like a CW show, right? Like these random group of time traveling dudes that are or people that are going going to fix things, and then apparently they make it worse. So I I can't wait to watch that. Well, that, that's, um, that's of course what it does, right? Yeah. Well, and then, uh, but they, they acknowledge that it makes it worse. So, uh, what about or- Orphan Black? Have you watched that? Uh, first season. Did you like it? I did. Um, but again, did I just too don't... much of Tatiana or whatever her name is. You can never get enough Tatiana. I think. I, I think that's the the rule of the day. Um, but I, it's again, I I only have. She's the one that Haverford let get away on Parks and Rec, by the way. Yeah, but but sometimes you just gotta. Let something fly away and become more beautiful than when he had it. I'll say the um, but I, it's there's, just in, there's in dark matter ultimate, on my list, <laughs> right? There's the ultimate prioritization of things, and I just look. I can't even keep up with the three shows I want to watch. Let alone take ten on. What about Ray Donovan? Uh, watched the first half of the first season, liked it. I'm, I'm a big fan of Lee Schreiber. Yep. Um, um, he uh, he's also a fantastic director um and uh i just <clears throat> yeah it'd be one of those if i had nothing to do other than right, right? so uh the, the one thing i really like is that uh, netflix have turned on this offline viewing mode so right before i was supposed to go to indonesia this last trip I loaded up all of Peaky Blinders that I hadn't seen and put it on the iPad, ready to go, and then mm-hmm. ended up delay, delaying the trip, so I watched it on the main TV. But um, I like that I can load up 
my iPad with some show from Netflix and then queue it up for the plane and watch it on the plane. That's how yeah, I get yeah. into House of Cards. I watch House of Cards on the plane and the whole first yeah. season just free based yeah. it on the way to Switzerland. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, it's just when I, I still I think of House of Cards all the time. I think of House of Cards in our current climate. Yep. I just, I, whenever I get on a plane, I always go back and if they have Marvel movies, I just rewatch whatever they got. I understand. Yeah. Uh, I everything, is, everything is illuminated. If you haven't seen that movie by Lee oh, Schreiber, the director of it, with oh, Elijah Wood, that is a phenomenal movie. You should watch it. I, I need to put the hair. Hold on. Do you think about it. Get your list. Get your just list. Write it down. Get your list. Everything. You know, that's a movie I had before I lost all my movies. Everything is illuminated. Holy. Yeah. Um, I remember, oddly enough, I don't know why it is. Maybe it's because it's so rare. That I'm watching a movie outside of the environment of uh, my wife's asleep and I'm watching on the couch kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I remember every movie I've seen on a flight to and from uh, Jakarta. <laughs> I don't know why that is. <laughs> like Equalizer. Like I've not seen that on a big screen, but I've seen that on an airplane and I liked it just fine. Um, and there are a lot of movies that I've seen, you know, on a flight and said, okay, earmarked for watching it again later big. Like Edge of Tomorrow, or as I call it, All You Need Is Kill, or All yeah. You Need Is Toy. I need to see that on the big, on my big TV because I only saw it on a. In fact, I even saw it on the, the planes, the screen on the on the back of the seat, right? <laughs> so I like I really need to see. It. But like also like I saw World War Z in my little uh, transit hotel in Singapore. Right? In the, <laughs> like I watched that super late at night, like twelve to two a.m. watching World War Z, and then turned off the laptop, and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna. You know, it's kind of go to sleep right now. I'm like, shit. Well, don't worry, the, the, the World War Z two is coming out, so you'll have another opportunity to experience that on the big screen. Yeah, but I think they're going to change the, uh, gonna change the format, right? Like, I, I have a feeling they'll probably go towards where the book did, and and that they didn't do the first time around with all the narrative. So I don't, I don't know. That they it was a complete departure for the first movie, so I don't know. Uh, did you read the bad? Yeah. Oh yeah. I did you it. like the movie version better or the mo- the books? Of, well, as in all things, I pretty much go with the book because that's my imagination, not somebody else's. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. That's an example. That movie is an example of where uh, they set up, you know, like the, the character structure of what the movie is going to be like, and then they surprise you. Like when they, when they had the scientists stumble down the the uh, the, the the plank of the back of that Hercules aircraft and then trip and shoot himself in the head i was like what Mm -hmm. the fuck just happened man yeah i was really surprised by that it was very successful well i liked it because um it created a different kind of zombie it was like uh yeah uh, the 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 28 days later or the i am legend post-apocalyptic version of us i haven't seen either of those yeah yeah you didn't see i am legend no was it good i thought it was bad Dude, no, it's a it, it's like the top three Will Smith movie, right? Hancock, I Am Legend, um, I forget the, the Wild, first, Wild West, and, and the first MIB. I cannot believe that you include that in your top. I can't believe you pl- included Hancock. I have to say, the first two thirds of Hancock, I really, really liked. I've yeah. always wanted the superhero with consequences, and I really like right. that part of it. <clears throat> in the last third, it kind of went off the rails, but yeah. Well, it just you know. <laughs> it's a typical Will Smith project. But I mean, who, uh, who who came up with the construct that Jason Bateman was kind of like take in the superhero, the drunken superhero, and be like, "This is not realistic. You can't do this stuff." Uh, yeah, what you're doing. I, I, I just 
else? Where else? Where else going to get Bateman, uh, Throne, and Smith in a movie and pull it off? I, I just love the the beautiful madness of it all. Um, Ooh, add that to the list of upcoming movies I want to see. It's uh, Theron's new uh, John Wick, not John Wick, but by the creators of John Wick, so it's basically John Wick. Atomica, Atomic Blonde, yeah. something. No, it's a, it's John it's John Dickless. Yeah, right. yeah, that's gonna be that was rude, but it's gonna be amazing. <laughs> that was that looks like it's gonna be that's gonna be what Salt could have been, right? Yeah, if but, Salt but was Salt, actually written as a female. But so I, I'm gonna have to come to my the leave Schreiber's defense. I mean, Salt for what it was, it was okay. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I, I and also Salt gets major points for the 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 gender flip and the casting and then making it work anyway. So that was yeah, and well, and the ornithologist again, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the the much abused, much taken for granted, supposed spy ornithologist. <laughs> <laughs> Things have to have gone right to to, to generate an Olivia Wilde. So there's yeah. something about the ornithologist lifestyle we just don't know. There's probably a convention for ornithologists that goes crazy at night. Well, it's only, yeah. Uh, Long Island's for everybody. It's crazy. Yeah, my, uh, no, be- no belts or anything, right? No, you don't get, there's no Nobel for ornithology. No. Cool, man. All right. Well, I guess I'll watch these shows. I have a few others on here, but Halt yeah. and Catch Fire, did you see that? Yes. Good? Very good. Very good. Um, and, it's got, and it's got Lee Pace. Seriously? So Lee, Lee Pace is uh, one of right. my underappreciated actors out there, and he's uh, just fantastic. And the uh, the female uh, lead, I, I'm blanking on her name. Um, the uh, The first season is really good, and then there's kind of a lull in it, of course. But um, but then it really redeems itself on kind of the second incarnation, just like all these tech startups do, and the same cast of characters come up. Um, right. It's uh, Mackenzie Davis. That's the one I'm thinking. Oh, okay. um, yeah, she's fantastic. Um, did, did you watch Pushing Daisies? Oh yeah, of course. I never saw any of them. Sip to nuts on the the mm-hmm. the aesthetic and the cinematography. That's him, right? And the set design, yeah, is just incredible. That's uh, that's what's his name that's doing Legion, right? All right. Uh, the director. Yeah. Or the creator, isn't that the one who did Legion? Brian Fuller. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then did, and then he went on from Pushing Davies to. He did do Pushing Davies, right? Yeah. Pushing Daisies. Davies. Pushing Davies is a sugar DVD search again. No, that's a pushing Daisies. Yeah. That's like pushing, you know, politicians around. Yes. So he did Pushing Daisies and he did Fargo and now he's doing Legion. Yeah. So Lee Pace. How good is Fargo? I mean, holy crap. I haven't seen it. I banned it because I was like outraged. I was outraged by it. And then I read a thing that where the Coens were like, yeah, you should watch it. Fuck it. And I was like, oh, all right. I'll put it on the list. But I haven't seen it yet. I've seen promos for season three and I've seen Ewan McGregor and what they've done to him. But I haven't watched the show at all. (laughs) So I should just go right on and do that next. Right. Yeah. It's it's like two. It's like two down on my my little queue. But I had to bump it up. I mean, still. To this day, um, the my favorite Fuller thing is uh, Hannibal on NBC. Oh, that was how on earth uh, did they cancel that show? Because it it was just too it was too much. It was just too much. Does he eat Jillian Anderson on that or no? No, well, uh, not that character. No, doesn't eat her. No. Okay. All right. So, um, 
Lee Pace, did you feel like he filled out Ronan in Guardians of the Galaxy? Because I feel like he's a thin guy, and I always felt like he was too thin in Ronan. No, well, but he bulked up for it too, right? I mean, he put on a lot of yeah, he, he, yeah, but yeah, like but in his face, everything about him seemed too thin for Ronan to me. Yeah, see, I didn't really have a a good idea of um, wow, and Fuller is actually from Lewiston, Idaho, huh? No, um, no. yeah, um, probably why Chris likes him so much. The um, uh, Idahoans. No, I, I I don't think he was too skinny. I just think um, his demise was completely broadcast for the first time he took up. The, the thing with Marvel is that they don't have villains that come back. They always kill them, right? Yeah. Um, right. A much longer arc in the in the comic books, but uh, well, he wasn't a villain. In the, I mean, he is, but he's a he's a he, henchman. He is a he's henchman. A, He's a he's a mini boss, in, right? In he's not he's not Thanos, right? right. And uh, so Thanos, let's but let's not put too fine a point on it. Thanos once had a Thanos copter, right? I mean, like Thanos has had a wide range of things happening to him. So, yes. uh, but of course, uh, the fact that they found Brolin for him was such great casting, brilliant. right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I like I, I, I want I like my villains to be complex. I, I, pretty much, I, pretty, I pretty much like Lee Pace and everything he does. Right, and I, th- I think his role on Guardians of the Galaxy was defined by the script and not by yeah. anything else. And so it was always just kind of, um, you know, the, the psychotic, holy warrior um, scree element that I think gave it short shrift rather than his physical persona in the role. Cree, his Cree thing, yeah. you mean? Yeah. Well, so here's my take on it. I, my sense was that he's a dynamic actor. would be really interesting as someone who's frustrated. So you should see him but in Hulk would... Catch Fire. You should see him what? in Hulk Catch Fire. Well, I will. I will. I, he, I, I had that got, and got... Silicon Valley on my list, and I watched Silicon Valley first, which I loved, and I never got to Hulk and Catch Fire. But, but I wanted him. I wanted him to be playing. If he was going to play the villain or the antagonist, I wanted him to play a guy who's frustrated and growing increasingly more frustrated. And that would have fit in Guardians of the Galaxy. It just doesn't fit with Ronan. Like, I can see him playing a character, uh, an antagonist, who's frustrated that these people just keep meddling and keep causing problems. Like, I think he could have done, I think that would have been a really interesting use of this guy. I felt like he wasn't used in Ronin the way, That's. I guess that's what I'm getting at. He just feels like he wasn't, he was underutilized in that role. No, he, look, he was a pinup villain that represented Armageddon, and that was sure. it, sure. right? I like. I want villains to be complex. That's one of the reasons why Loki was successful, particularly like in the the sphere of things like where he traps Thor in the Hulk the Hulk cage and then dumps it. You know, those kinds of moments for Loki where he's being crafty were very exciting. I like when a villain is very creatively crafty, or when has a villain that's thought ahead. I don't like villains that are like plodding along with their plan and don't get in their way, which is unfortunately what you usually get. Well, but so, it, but you got to recognize in Guardians of the Galaxy that plot vehicle was represented by uh, <laughs> Zoe Saldana, right? I mean, that that was the character that was caught in the grist and had that juxtaposition right. of good and evil, and then you know right. went another way. I mean, so that that transition moment and that complexity was represented in that character, not in Ronan. It's right? interesting that Karen uh, Karen Gillan or Gillan, whatever it is. 
her her nebula is joining reluctantly joining the team on the on the second uh, film. I get that they're siblings and whatever else, but I just it's 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 odd. It'll be an interesting tension. I hope that they play that up. That it's not. Well, uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I, we don't know what the role of Thanos is in this, and or if anything, and. I actually didn't know that, so thank you for spoiling that for me. But uh, it's in all the promos. <laughs> no, she's there. She's in the she's promos. There, but I, I don't think she's like, you know, chummy tummy. Um, they show that her in the team in the group shots. They yeah. show that they brought in Yondu and they brought her in. Yeah, but she could be the one that doesn't want to be there. She's only there begrudgingly and is going to turn. I think that's on. what it is. I sure. surely and then she's in handcuffs half the time. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and just like Michael Yondu, Rook. right? Like he's gonna eat him or or Michael Rooker is it Rooker? Rooker. Oh, he is amazing in that role. Yeah, absolutely I'll love be- him. Yeah, we're gonna see that movie. You and I. Yes, probably. we are. Yeah. All right. That was the end. The end to the end. Well, that was fun having yeah. you on. I appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for hanging out and uh, doing that. And I hope to have you on soon. We will do it again soon. Go take your bourbon bottle and tuck it into your pillow and cradle it and get three hours of sleep for your the, daughter. The weeping, I'll be I'll be one with the, the expanse and the weeping somnambulist. <laughs> yes, perfect. Okay. <laughs> oh, I need to watch it and then I'll understand it fully. All right, cool. Yeah. Thanks a lot. That's great. Have a good night. And that was our May episode. We had planned on recording a few other things, but I am on the road a lot this month. Uh, as always, you can go to robot-kraken.com to keep up with all the nerd news and standard awesomeness that we typically have on the website. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Tom's username is at TRDL, and you can find me at Deeply Dapper. You can also just look up Robot Kraken. Uh, we also have a Robot Kraken Instagram, Robot Kraken's Red Tentacle, that you can look up on there. Uh, as always, you can also stream and download the episodes at deeplydapper.com. Apologize if I seem a little scatterbrained in this closing here. Things have been crazy this month. We hope you enjoyed this month's episode. Next month should be pretty interesting. We have some tentative guests on to review different movies with Tom while I'm on the road. And hopefully Tom and I can get together and discuss some new trailers, new gadgets, new art techniques, and more. Thank you for listening to Robot Kraken. It's time to put the Kraken back in its cage. Freaky Friday was the best movie ever, you know, or something. Goodbye.